0: Politic podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your
1: house,
2: Tony Reed.
3: We're terribly interested in it, government. The commercial imperative is incompatible with this. We don't hold him to account. We also don't give him credit for what things he does do.
4: Would you consider yourself a democratic socialist?
3: Yeah. I'd like, wouldn't I? am like what not i i would consider myself a socialist.
5: Today we continue our investigation of exposing the corruption inside ABC News. What you're about to see is one of ABC's veteran news correspondents detailing how and why ABC twists their news narrative. We met correspondent David Wright while he was covering the Democratic presidential primary in New Hampshire. He says his network is misinforming voters during one of the most important elections in our country's history
3: table I feel like it's like, we, like the truth suffers the voters are poorly informed and people also have the opportunity to come into whatever they want to hear and so there's no like I don't know. There's, there's, it's like there's no upside, and uh, our bosses don't see an upside in doing the job that we're supposed to do, which is to hold and you know, speak truth to power and hope people do it I'm going
2: to get my fucked up on Kobe Bryant. And he
3: said that uh, all of his daughters died in the helicopter crash. And that was a. He just. Uh, and uh, Got bad information and reported bad information, and has paid the price for it. He got suspended, but
2: you know, you
3: know the the news the about but the the. the, the the, uh, problems with the two we don't hold him to account we also don't give him credit for what things he does with. again I think some of that at least in, in where, the place that I work and, and the places like it is that um, we, you know with Trump we're interested in three things we're interested in the outrage of the day the investigation and, and out of the palace intrigue, whose backstabbing series. But beyond that, we only not
6: really cover the guy.
5: Wright isn't just some ABC News clerk. After graduating magna cum laude from Harvard, he went on to earn a master's at Oxford before joining ABC News in 2000 as a correspondent. So when Wright says ABC's commercial imperative is incompatible with news... We listen. It became
3: like a, a profit center, a, 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 a promotion center. And like now, it's, it's like you can't watch Good Morning America without there being a Disney princess or a Marvel Avenger appearing. Right. It's it's all self promotion right. and um, promotion of the company, but also promotion of individuals within the company. Yeah, as opposed to um, kind of dedication to the story and a, and a, and a commitment to knowing stories that we need to tell, but that are maybe hard to tell. Commercial imperative is incompatible with terror. So, you know, real people talk about practical issues when they're thinking about it, can't be it. You know, I want to go back into work, I can't afford child care, or I need medical care for So those things aren't T V friendly. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, we want to focus on impeachment. We wanna focus on the big on, but the things that help people make up their minds are real but I think that we we don't have the bandwidth to give everybody a fair shot. In, and we should. And we're in this awkward moment where, and, 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 and created by this awkward moment, we have the president. And we can't
4: figure out how to
5: challenge him. Wright's anti-Trump bias is clear. Not surprising, considering his politics.
4: Do you consider oh, yourself a Democrat Socialist? So
3: yeah, I'm like, what not? I consider myself a socialist. Like, uh, I think there should be national health insurance. I'm totally fine with greening and corporations. I think there are too many billionaires. And I think that there's a wealth gap. That's a problem.
5: Wright says ABC News is more concerned about, quote, the soundbite of the day... And his colleague producer Andy Fies agrees. Andy says ABC doesn't understand voters and perverts election coverage into a horse race.
3: four years ago and we're, in, we're in the same way today we can imagine or No, or I think we're up in a
2: different way I don't f***ing have a different
3: way well actually maybe you're right maybe it is the same not giving candidates their due right not taking seriously those who should be. not paying attention to those you're going to do, do it in the flavor of the month the flavor of the week yeah and here we go in the horse race in the horse race we, we can't stop ourselves. You Nobody know, in New York goes and hangs out. I mean, the People in New York are constantly, I think,
2: fascinating
3: by How can people like Donald
2: Trump? How can people understand? No. What the
3: f? Cross the Hudson now and then and come out and spend some time and you'll hear why. You know? And I, I still think that we, we don't understand that. I mean, I don't think we're terribly interested in that. And in addition to the candidate of the week. Yeah. Like, like, we need the story to move on. So we're happy to have Buddha just be the story last week, and we're happy to have Hobartara as a new subject this week. And then when we're tired of her, you know, we'll be delighted if Elizabeth Warren kicks ass in Nevada, because then we have something new to talk about. And, and like, yeah, it's like just a new... Like, Drew, uh, Drew has been around ABC for a very long time. Not as long as Andy Fox. But, but, for a very long time, and uh, remembers today and we often talk about how uh, it used to be. Like, it used to be better. I we used to use different words. I mean, I think, I think I used to think it was us. Now I think it's the world. I think it's the world. Yes, the world sucks. We're all guilty of the same thing. Yeah, I think that all these big news organizations. Again, I'm speaking about broadcast television. That's all I'm speaking about. Right. ABC, CBS. Yes, and, yeah. and we recognize that we're dinosaurs and
7: we're in danger of dying. And welcome back to Politic Podcast. It is the 28th of February, year of our Lord, 2020. It's fucking four o'clock in the morning. Woke up at three, so I'm going to be talking a little softer today because people do sleep. I was due. I slept way too much. I had two nine-and-a-half-hour... Nights of sleep, and for some reason last night I was wide awake. So, anyway, our intro today kind of starts us off on a great thing. That is, uh, once again, project Project Veritas finding out that ABC News is what we always know they are biased. James O'Keefe not long ago exposed the Epstein cover up with ABC. Tomorrow, Project Veritas will expose ABC News agenda, mislead voters, and push their own narratives. You're going to want to. You're not going to want to miss this. See it first, then, but none of them have the courage to say it publicly. When the last time you saw ABC, CBS, NBC network anchor say, we also don't give him credit for what he does. It was pretty bad. So bad that ABC suspended him, and his name's David Wright, because of the video. And the whole world said, you know, um, that's kind of what we already know. So why would he get suspended? Because he said the truth. They spend most of their time trying to figure out ways not to do it. And we're going to start our show because I didn't say it. We're going to have the Dem debate stuff. We're going to have a little hate, but we're going to go into Corona first because I think I mentioned it in last podcast. They they were going to go on this. They were going to do what they do and somehow could figure it's uh, Trump's fault. Um, his response isn't good enough, etc cetera, et cetera. And that's exactly what they've done. Exactly what they've done. Um, I had it on the back end cause I was just going to do reporting up front, but, uh, let's just get to the, the chase. H- here is our media and I have one that's even worse. I mean, literally worse, two of them on the back end. Um, of this segment but this is what our media did right off the bat
8: tonight president trump under pressure to show that he is in command of america's response to the growing international crisis on twitter the president declaring the cdc and my administration are doing a great job of handling coronavirus we have not had one death let's keep it that way But on Capitol Hill, the Secretary of Health and Human Services with this warning.
9: America's risk is low at the moment. That could change quickly.
8: Democrats are frustrated. I believe that the administration's lack of coordination for the coronavirus response is on full display. We all know that. Sources telling us the president has been closely watching the diving Dow. The administration has asked Congress for an additional $2.5 billion to respond to the coronavirus threat. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says that's
10: not nearly enough. What he's doing is late, too late, anemic. Hopefully we can make up for the loss of time.
8: Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar tried to convey the president's position to concerned lawmakers.
9: He's trying to calm the public that we see in China. Panic can be as big of an enemy as virus in these situations. And so there is a, there is always that balance. Mr. On Secretary,
6: I, I don't I mean, want to panic, panic over this either. The that. stock market's crashing. He's trying to stop a stock market. He's not. Try- he's, he's outright contradicting everything that you all have just said. Outright contradiction.
8: Administration officials insisted yesterday the virus was tightly contained. But Azar said today it is spreading. Democrats accused the administration of downplaying the crisis and underfunding the response.
10: What he's doing is late, too late, anemic. Hopefully we can make up for the loss of time.
8: A strong economy is central to the president's re-election strategy, so getting out ahead of a virus that could spread and slow economic growth is critical.
9: (laughs) Didn't it seem like Pence didn't know that was going to (laughs) happen? I hope the virus isn't spread by kissing ass, because if it is, they've got the wrong guy. (laughs) Seriously.
11: Mike Pence is in trouble. Why is Mike Pence... Why is Mike Pence in charge? What
12: is his plan to stop the virus? Abstinence? (laughs) I think Trump might be trying
11: to kill him. I really do. He's a guy who admitted that he's surprised that 25,000 to 69,000 people each year die of the flu. Uh, That just tells you how little he actually knows about public health and about the health of the American public. Uh, because every doctor knows that, uh, and lots of health policy experts know that. And he told you, he just revealed how ignorant he is about the situation. Um, We don't know how similar or dissimilar this is to the flu. We know one thing, it actually is more communicable than the flu. It passes between people very, very easily.
13: We do have breaking news on coronavirus, these new concerns about this case in California, why it could be so significant. Also, Japan shutting down all public schools. These are major developments. So how does the president's response so far meet the moment? John Avalon here with a reality
6: check. John. Hey, John. So there are now more than 82,000 confirmed cases of the coronavirus around the world. It's 2,800 lives lost with at least 60 cases in the United States and climate. But as this escalation occurred, President Trump was in denial.
14: We have it under control. It's uh, going to be just fine. I think that's a problem that's going to go away.
6: But Trump still found time to blame the media, tweeting, low ratings, fake news, MS, DNC, and CNN are doing everything possible to make the coronavirus look as bad as possible, including panicking markets if possible. Here's the thing, Mr. President. Pandemics don't care about politics. Remember, the Chinese impulse to cover up may have helped lead to this outbreak. And here in the United States, the Trump administration's war on science has left us vulnerable. Remember, the Trump administration has been shutting down research committees and silencing scientists and making climate crisis denial a matter of public policy. But it should still shock you that Trump slashed the government agencies that would have been responsible for handling an outbreak. With money running tight, the CDC planned to cut its global pandemic prevention efforts by 80% cutting activities in 39 countries, including China. Trump administration also shut down the global health security unit of the National Security Council, disbanding the very office Obama opened to handle pandemics during the Ebola crisis. At the time, Trump railed against Obama. We have a tremendous
14: problem in New York because President Obama would not stop the flights. So now we've got Ebola.
6: Well, no, we didn't get an Ebola outbreak in America, thanks in part to the government's robust response. At a press conference Tuesday, Trump was asked about that
14: flip-flop. Big, big difference. It's uh, like day and night. As far as what we're doing with the new virus, I think that I think that we're doing a great job. Now, Trump is scrambling to get
6: 2.5 billion from Congress to contain the coronavirus, but by sidelining the experts, we're left with the C team. In exchanges like this between Senator John Kennedy and Acting DHS Secretary Chad. What's the mortality rate? Again, it's under 2%. What's the mortality rate for influenza?
7: Right around that percentage as well. You sure of that? It's a little
11: bit. Yes, sir.
6: Missed it by that much. It's actually less than 0.2%. And if we really had the best people in place, they would know that 1 in 50 Americans don't die from the flu every year. We'd also not see top DHS official Ken Cuccinelli asking folks on Twitter for update to -to up-to-date coronavirus numbers when he presumably should have access to better info himself. But tone comes from the top. It was about two weeks ago, that the president floated this fact free theory.
14: Looks like by April, you know, in theory, when it gets a little warmer, it miraculously goes away. I hope that's true. Trump
6: only seemed to start taking coronavirus seriously once it started impacting the stock market. Apparently, the White House is panicked that an outbreak could hurt their reelection. That's trickled down to right-wing airwaves, like this rant from Rush Limbaugh.
15: Coronavirus being weaponized as yet another element to bring down Donald Trump. The coronavirus is, is, is
6: the common cold, folks. It's not. Look, I got news for our nation's latest Medal of Freedom recipient. The coronavirus doesn't care about partisan politics. This is a time for government to face facts, embrace science, and do its job. Protect the American people. And that's your reality check. The
13: coronavirus is 20 times more deadly than the flu. 20 times more deadly doesn't mean we should panic, but a key element of public health is public trust, John. It's
6: essential, and that's what's been gutted. It's a self-inflicted wound from this White House. All right, John, thanks so much for that.
14: Thank you. So we hear the, the you know, 40,000, 45,000 out of China specifically may be much higher because people are, simply aren't getting tested.
16: Sanjay, thank you so much. Yeah. We're glad you were there to press the president. We're glad you're there, and you'll be here with us throughout all this. Thanks so much. Of You got it. Thank you. So the president has appointed uh, Vice President Mike Pence to oversee the administration's response to handling of this outbreak. Today, Pence will lead his first task force meeting on coronavirus.
11: Joining us now, CNN White House correspondent John Harwood and Washington Bureau Chief for the Daily Beast, Jackie Kucinich. Uh, John, uh, let's talk for a moment about uh, the the president's response so far to this, the White House, the administration, and so on. Uh, CNN's reporting is that early yesterday, the president was against appointing a czar, and then by the evening we have vice president pence is is there a changing view in the White House and with this president as to how serious this is
12: well I think you have to make a distinction between what uh, aides in the White House think and what the president uh, thinks. Mm -hmm. and I think what we saw last night at that news conference was the president in front of all of us we could all see it struggling to accept the reality of the situation Maybe we'll uh, g- take another 2.5 billion, maybe we'll take four, maybe we'll take eight. Maybe it's like the flu, maybe it's easier, maybe it's harder. Not accepting the, uh, uh, num- the mortality numbers that uh, Sanjay correctly pointed out. Uh, maybe we'll have community spread, maybe we won't. It's not inevitable. Well, uh, that was shown uh... uh, right after the news conference that we are going to have community spread we have community spread and what you have seen today and last night when dow futures fell while that press conference was going on is a uh, no confidence vote from financial markets who've got a lot of Mm -hmm. money on the line uh, in what the administration is doing. You also have the president appointing Mike Pence saying he's really good on health. We all remember that as governor of Indiana, uh, he uh, struggled to cope with a public health crisis uh, on HIV by delaying needle exchanges. That had uh, uh, real consequences in terms of uh, lives lost. So uh, the administration has not uh, got its act together. Uh, Alex Azar was struggling openly uh, with Mike Pence at that news conference, saying, "I'm still in charge of the task force." This afternoon, they're going to have a meeting of the task force at HHS yeah. on Azar's turf. How is Mike Pence going to handle that? Uh, that's yep. another test for the administration. Yeah.
16: Such such important points, John a- and Jackie. Dan bash made uh, a really uh, salient reminder, I think, for all of us that this administration has not yet faced real domestic crises right. that are not of its own making up until now. And now you are looking at, by the way, in intraday trading, the Dow is now at correction territory. Mm-hmm. It's down 10%. We'll see if it closes there, but you've got a real possibility of an economic crisis, a possibility of a recession Goldman Sachs says if this is a pandemic, and, and more importantly than the economy, a health crisis and potential pandemic in this country
17: you know what this boils down to is trust not only trust in the president but trust in institutions and trust that the institutions are giving the public the correct Information, uh, whether or not it upsets the president, and uh, there were fear among Democrats once Pence was appointed, and because of the president's uh, contradiction of his uh, CDC director that was standing right next to him an hour yeah. after she after um, she said that they weren't there that it really wasn't clear how this would progress, and the mm-hmm. president saying that it wasn't inevitable. Uh, it, public health, as you point out, uh, Poppy, should trump the economy. It should Trump politics. And uh with any luck it does in this case. But you know, with the president veering into politics and with an eye on the stock market, um there there is there is some concern and um it it and this is why it's important for people to tell yeah. the truth.
11: You don't want public health to become a partisan issue. Jo- John, exactly. John Harwood, uh, the US has already declared public health emergency on this. It's imposed some travel restrictions, people coming back from China. It's obviously put some Americans yeah. returning from that cruise ship into quarantine. I just wonder Are there already steps, restrictions, etc. in the pipeline, uh, in case it gets worse, that this administration would consider at that point other kinds of travel restrictions? Uh, Of course, that depends on the progress of this going forward. but, But what kind of serious steps is the administration considering at this point?
12: Well, as you say, Jim, that's condition dependent. Mm -hmm. But the president hinted last night that there were more coming. He said now it's not the right time to impose additional uh, travel restrictions. But again, one of the problems that we have here is an administration that is depleted. It's not fully staffed. There are many uh, open positions. The uh, NSC position for uh, coping with pandemics was eliminated by President Trump. Uh, One of the oddest uh, moments of that news conference last night was when the president was asked if he would reconsider the proposed cuts he has made to agencies like NIH and the mm. CDC, and he said, no, I'm a business guy. I like to have people when I need them, and so uh, we don't want people sitting around. Uh, we can always hire them when we need them. That's not the case. That, that is not how uh, effective government management works, and uh, uh, markets are registering their reaction to that. Yeah,
16: that yeah, and the fact that they had tasked NSC to oversee this, Jackie, and they don't have an NSC person dedicated to global health at this point.
17: I mean, global health, uh, prevention is a huge part of of these outbreaks, um, and, and being having a reactive strategy. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's going to be a part of it, of course, right? But. Again, uh, the president can't, has a tendency to try to bend reality to his will. Um, in this case, when public health is on the line, you obviously don't want to panic anyone, but you want, to keep, you want to have the information being the best information and the most truthful information going out to the American people at a time like this.
11: Yeah, because because it affects
12: lives. It affects lives. Sure. Just one more point before we go. It is not just the president. Remember, he has, for example, an acting Homeland Security Secretary Mm -hmm. right now, not a permanent one. When that Homeland Security Secretary was testifying on the Hill a couple of days ago, he was pressed by a Republican senator. What's the mortality rate for coronavirus? And then Mm -hmm. he said, what's the uh, mortality rate for influenza? He said they're about the same. Well, that is not true, uh, as Sanjay has pointed true. out. Sanjay, it 20 times. is 20 times higher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's... so you have an evident lack of uh, expertise.
13: If the goal of the president with this news conference last night was to allay the fears of investors and markets around the world, and we know he's been concerned about that, it didn't work. Those figures on the screen, Romans, was just showing us are telling us that investors are still – very much rattled. Joining us now, CNN political analyst Maggie Haberman. She is a White House correspondent for The New York Times. And just so everyone knows, we're going to talk to Dr. Sanjay Gupta coming up this hour. We're going to talk uh, to emergency response officials to get a sense of that. But we're also talking to Maggie now to get a little bit of the reporting on the political angle for what led up to this last night. Why'd the president walk out on that stage? Does the White House feel like it accomplished what it wanted to, given that the markets are still concerned?
18: No, and look, John, I think the the White House is not going to feel like they accomplish what they want to for several days until things calm down. The president had been very frustrated with the public messaging of this from his administration, but not for the reasons that people necessarily think. It's because there were experts who were saying one thing um, from the CDC, which was that there is this problem brewing, and then he was trying to tamp this down in his own comments, and he keeps saying something that, as I understand it, is a a misinterpretation of what he was told in a briefing, which was, that viruses tend to decrease in numbers in terms of spread during warmer weather. He has taken that and he's put his own spin on it, which is um, it's going to stop by April. And he's been telling people that for a while. He was very concerned when he was in India as he was watching the stock market fall. He was calling aides, wanting them to say something public that was going to try to quell the nerves. That obviously didn't happen or didn't happen to the degree he wanted. Mick Mulvaney, the acting White House chief of staff, had been pushing for some higher point person or different point person other than just HHS Secretary Alex Azar for a couple of days. So some people got what they wanted, but the message was not delivered entirely clearly by the president last night as to what this is supposed to accomplish. And if you're Mike Pence, you've been given a portfolio um, that is likely to have a, a less than positive outcome, at least for a while. Whether this then instills public confidence in the days going forward, uh, I think, remains to be seen. But so far, we're not seeing a sign of that.
8: I was wondering that, Maggie. It seemed as though Vice President Pence might be set up for failure. I'm not saying intentionally, but I mean, how how is he going to get his arms around this? At the moment, it, it, it's feeling this morning as though some game changing things are happening. Just as Mike Pence steps into the role, is uh, was he surprised that he was taking on this role? I think he knew
18: that it was a possibility, but I think the president didn't make it official until late yesterday. And to the question about did the president calm nerves, remember that the president had um, White House press st- staff go out yesterday and say that reports by Politico and us at the Times uh, that there might be some czar appointed were not true. Well, okay, they're not literally calling it a czar, um, but a point person is generally uh, known to mean the same thing, at least in government parlance, and that is what they did. And It's not the press shop's fault. They did what they were told to do, but that doesn't instill confidence either in terms of the public's reaction. I think Mike Pence is taking this seriously. You're already seeing that he's putting some meeting on his schedule today to try to get his arms around it. But again, I just think that for whomever is in that role, the number of cases... Could grow, and we don't know, right, and we obviously hope that it doesn't turn out this way, but it could grow to a number that is um, much more significant than what the public has seen in this country so far, and that's just going to be an unpleasant load to bear. The other thing we don't know is how much more we're going to hear from experts out of the administration. It seems like they're trying very hard to centralize this within the VP's staff, that everything is going to go through them. If we limit the number, if they limit the number of scientists or experts or subject matter experts who are talking to the public about this, it's not clear that that's going to inspire confidence either.
13: We need to hear from the right. experts. We have
18: over the last year, up until now, Right, whether that will continue, time, I think, is the open question. It that's really exactly is, right. and that's of concern, because right. it was
13: Dr. Anthony Fauci yesterday morning right here on New Day. The president said we're very close to a vaccine. Dr. Fauci's like,
18: well, right. a year right. and a half. Um, right. Right. Which but is, the president, John, as we know, likes to try to sort of will things into existence in terms of what he says and try to bend it to how he wants it to be. You're not going to bend a virus into submission, and so he keeps saying things that have or had kept saying things that were just not in total concert with with science. Um, the public is going to pick up on that.
13: He's saying things that, in some cases, are wrong. Right. Is another right. way of saying. It. Uh, you know, he had an exchange with Sanjay last night, um, where Sanjay was pointing out that the mortality rate for the flu is about 0.1%. The mortality rate for coronavirus is 2%. It is 20 times more deadly. And the president of the United States, who just discovered that flu was deadly yesterday, he told us, told us, no, 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 Sanjay, you're not right here. Um, That's a problem. Again, you don't want to have people panic. You just want people to get the information they need to behave the way they need to behave.
18: We have talked any number of times on this show and all of us uh, more broadly as a press corps about the need for credibility by an administration. Not every administration has some official who has said something that isn't true at one time or another, but the sheer volume of things that are not true that have been said by this president and by some of his aides uh, does not inspire credibility, and it's why they are being questioned on it at a time when they need it. Most of the most of the controversies this White House has dealt with have been of the president's making, not all, but most this one is not, and how you handle that is a is a moment where you want people to believe that they can trust what you're saying, and, and they have brought this on themselves that people question it
8: beyond the public health worries of mm-hmm. people. Obviously, the stock stock market. I mean, Christine right. Romans just um, explained a fairly dire morning, at least it looks like at the moment. And you know, as you point out, Maggie, the president often bends, um, T- tries to tries yeah. to bend reality to the rosier picture that he wants, he will not be comfortable with what we're seeing on the screen here. No, Allison, he won't. And this has been what he was
18: concerned about for several days, watching the stock market get rattled. This is part of why, for weeks now, uh, one of the main reasons that he has tried to downplay the significance of this, because he has tethered his own you know, belief in his reelection case to what the stock market looks like. And he knows that if there are economic concerns or if there is an economic downturn, that that could be really perilous for him in November. Um, public health crises are obviously about the public and about their health. And so the public is is perhaps going to be less sympathetic about trying to minimize concerns around a, a public health threat um, when it is relating to a person's own re-election.
8: Maggie Haberman, thank you very much nice. for sharing all of the reporting with us. See, the
7: President of the United States is supposed to keep America calm. So he made a comment. That everything's under control, and the media did what they have to do. Whatever he says, we have to do the opposite. There is bad stuff, but it's not a pandemic. It's not the avian flu. It's not H1N1. It's not Ebola. There are precautions being taken. But the media, as we'll see, to own Trump freaked out the entire country overseas military schools were going to close like seoul south korea japan etc 13 million students in japan will be left home for a month right now because they have an outbreak more than 80 percent of confirmed coronavirus cases are not severe i did the math last night it has a three percent kill ratio majority of those kill ratios are over 80 years old i'm in a category that has a Uh, 2.9% chance of dying because I'm over 50. But everybody else, it's 0.3%. It's nothing. Where it was initially, it is bad. Italy, 45% rise, 11% are 11 people dead. Um, The spokesman for Iran got it. Tourists in Tenefer Hotel, lockdown in Spain, A Korean air flight attendant working LAX flights, diagnosed with coronavirus. And some of the problem is they're missing the screenings. So that's hurt some people. First case, Latin America. California is uh, monitoring 8,400 people. But there's only 33. So because they're Democrats, San Francisco declares state of emergency. There are no cases in San Francisco. But once again, we've got to scare people. CDC comes out and says, it's inevitable. We're going to have a little bit of an out- outbreak in America. should prepare for some disruptions. But they didn't call it a pandemic. They didn't go crazy. You heard in the soundbite, they got somebody from the WHO to go crazy and own Trump. Our media and the Democrats use this to become... What they are hacks. Get Trump. Washington Post, before stuff, really blew up. And there was a lot of cases over like a two-day period. The latest target of racist rumors and coronavirus, the ubiquitous dance troupe, Shen Yun. The next day, opinion, coronavirus makes the case for Medicare for all. That came from Democrat pundits like Anna Garandis, if you're a skeptic of Medicare for all, but the coronavirus is making you rethink things, reply with why. They started politicizing. Then they realized, well, well, we can get him now because he did do a meeting and he handed it to Pence. And then we really, really started getting some cases. It all started working. <laughs> working for the Dems. How are we going to get them? First, Northern California from unknown came in. More in Italy. It just blew up overnight. The media starts pumping this shit out. Costco sells out of food kits. Emergency food kits. Mask. My wife goes, well, maybe we should get some masks. I had mask. I had the I-95 one, which is 96% going to block everything. Unless somebody pukes or spits on you, you're pretty good. I had 10 of them because I use them for... Um, summer work because of my allergies one day you can get them, they're normal price. a box of 10 is 20 bucks, my wife looked at them, I said no honey I got them, the next day they're $195 it's going to take 3 to 4 weeks a run of them started because people were sending them to their families in China then everybody freaked out because of the media. Germany, Germany warning over virus epidemic. 112 on Long Island and 8 in Worcester. They quarantined some people in Nassau. Problem is, it's such a weird virus. 14% of patients who recover test positive again. A Jap- Japanese woman tested positive after recovery. Now we have scientists, mostly liberals, saying it could become like HIV and mutate. Saudi Arabia stops all pilgrimage. Uh, Latin America already said got it. South Korea then goes, hey, we're not even going to do Team Spirit. It's just building up because the media keeps going with it. They got to own Trump. They got everybody scared. They got them so scared. Ugly battles erupt as residents fight housing coronavirus patients in their city. And guess where that is? California, California, they want illegals in, but they don't want people coronavirus. And you know how this works. They have to move some people sometimes and quarantine them. Yeah, they don't want that. So before he did his meeting, because the media and the Democrats pushed him to do a meeting because they started spinning up because they got nothing else to report on right now. Day, Brian J. Kareem, now, still no word on who, what, when, where or this news conference will take place or it will actually be a news conference. He retweeted Donald Trump's tweet and it said, I will be having a news conference at White House on coronavirus today at 6 p.m. That's how spun up the journalists were. They had to get stuff out there. We got to get Trump. The whole world pointed out, hey, listen, You're pretty fucked up. The day of the meeting, Brian Seltzer, since the dawn of Trump era, countless experts have warned that the president's lack of credibility would imperil the country in the event of an emergency. As a coronavirus outbreak worsens, those fears may be coming true. They're already doing stories. This is his fault. People said, yeah, let's blame Trump. Oh, they did. There's an op-ed. We'll get to it. Somebody remarked, as this article was going out, CNN cuts away from White House press briefing about the coronavirus to air Michael Bloomberg Town Hall. So it must not have been that important. Stephen Miller, this was such an important issue, Brian's network cut out of the press conference, and none of his network-leading reporters, including Darcy, Tapper, and Acosta, even showed up or tweeted. Greg Gutfeld, hey guys, this is the big one. Finally, we get a deadly pandemic that proves all our hysteria isn't all a pathetic waste of time. Gross how media hopes for something bad to happen to a country to prove their humiliated idiocy of past four years are finally validated. The fears may be coming true, they say hopefully. We're going to talk about the stock market in a second, but I want to show you something before it. All right, we're going to get to it. For those who are like, well, the stock market went bad. Yeah, there's a reason it went bad. And we'll see it in a second. ABC News Politics. Hopefully we can make up for the loss of time and not be using scare tactics about people coming back to our country. This is Nancy Pelosi. I'm just going to do two at the same time. Then Warren, who basically says the way we fix this is to have open borders. Because not only do the media spin this up, they did it during the debate, which we'll get to in our next section.
19: We'll, we'll have a, when the Senate has a proposal, we'll have something similar which um, addresses the need for the professionals to be in place. The president let go a couple of years ago, never replaced them. This is shameful. That puts forth a proposal now that is meager, anemic in terms of addressing as well. Uh, With Ebola, we did $5 Now they're trying to take the Ebola money and spend it here. So what what he's doing is late, too late, anemic. Hopefully we can make up for the loss of time. But it will have to have the professionals in place, the resources that are adequate, and and not uh, be using scare tactics about people coming back uh, to our country.
20: Just tonight, uh, the the president, President Trump detailed the administration's response to the spread of the coronavirus. And I want to tell you what it includes. It includes stopping uh, non-U.S. citizens from coming to the U.S. from China, screening people coming uh, into the country from infected areas, quarantining those infected and developing a vaccine. Do you think that response is sufficient, Senator?
19: No. Uh, But but let's start because this really is serious and we have a lot to talk about here. We know that with any virus that develops, the most vulnerable will be our children, seniors, people with compromised immune systems who are undergoing treatment. So this one, this one is tough. So the way I think about this is first we think about allocation, kind of of our overall approach, I'm going to be introducing a plan tomorrow to take every dime that the president is now spending on his racist wall at our southern border and divert it to work on the coronavirus. We also need someone in the White House who is coordinating all of the work and all of the messaging and all of the information, and we need someone who is not actively disqualified from doing that the way the Vice President is. (laughs) Do keep in mind that this Vice President has dealt with a public health emergency before in Indiana. And what was his approach? It was to put politics over science and let a serious virus expand in his state and cost people lives he is not the person who should be in charge and the third part is that we should be working right now on the economic fallout from this crisis understand this supply lines are being disrupted as we sit here uh manufacturers right here in south carolina are going to start running out of the parts they need the ones that come from china or come from other nations that are affected you don't wait until the factory is shut down before you start responding to that we need to be working right now on the supply lines look this is what it means to either have a president who's all about politics and all about himself or a president like i want to be and that is a president who gets a job done for the american people that's why i'm here
7: They're using it. It's just like the war again. Ben Rhodes, it's still amazing to see how a rambling, semi-coherent, and contradictory press from Trump gets repackaged into headline stories and TV clips Then make him a normal cl- president. The old world said, what galaxy are you in? Andrea Casia cortez Mike Pence literally does not believe in science. It is utterly irresponsible to put him in charge of U.S. coronavirus response as the world sits on the cusp of a pandemic. His decision could cost people their lives. Pence past decisions already have. As Governor, Pence's science denial contributed to one of the worst HIV break outbreaks in Indiana history. The entire world said, No, that's you lying. Rosie O'Donnell and company Go unhinged over it. Uh, Rosie, to provide some choice, the trump handing comedian tweeted, a rambling idiot gives us some doctors. Damn it. Science, this is a appreci- appreciative White House and a rapidly declining mind. What the fuck has happened? We are here. Pandemic preparedness. Another post, The demented entertainer asks, how is he allowed to go on television and lie with impunity? It seems his own demented worldview with no one screaming at him as he speaks. Pandemic. Mimi Driver slam Pence after trust tapping the headline. But don't worry, Mike Pence is going to pray on the coronavirus like he did on HIV. Yeah, they started attacking his religion pretty quick, pretty quick because that's what they do. Uh, Kirk Acevedo from Band of Brothers. Americans are safe now. Max Pence is going to pray. George Takaki. Mike Pence, the guy who once wrote that he doubted cigarettes cause cancer, will now head up a nation response, and he'll pray. Liz Winstead, pray. New York Times, they just cut to the chase. Opinion. Let's call it Trump virus. If you're feeling awful, you know who to blame. It's our This is America today. We'll read it there. That's just right where they went. Twitter started freaking stopping a vlogger from Wuhan who had 35,000 followers because he was putting out real information. At least they're doing the right thing, theoretically, even though they're censoring. Not to make the world panic, but not the left. Dan Crenshaw, there are Democrats outright lying about the president's response to coronavirus. Bloomberg is actually running ads that say CDC funding was cut, and it's patently false. There is no need to politicize this important issue. It got so fucking bad over the two days. The AP, Democrats distort coronavirus preparedness. Britt Hume, is there no issue serious enough that politicians won't make false claims? Oliver Darcy then goes in late last night. Some of Trump's most ardent supporters and media have downplayed concerns over the coronavirus and misled audiences by telling the news organizations and top Democrats are weaponizing fear in a bid to hurt president's re-election effort. A big... Bit rich that the five on Fox and network whose hosts have contended that Dems and the media are weaponizing coronavirus fears to attack Trump just spent a segment assailing the media for supposedly politicizing the situation. The entire world goes, they're right, but it's the same thing. It got so fervent yesterday. CNBC, a state breakdown of who's skipping medications because they're too costly. They just ran a medical article. In this medical article, uh, Wisconsin is Wyoming. Minnesota's Montana. Texas is Utah. Oregon's Pennsylvania. The entire, my- Washington's Virginia. They, they must have had somebody who doesn't know the United States because they rolled some shit out and it was all wrong. They're just, they got to get this. This is great. So, Lemon, he's just like the New York Times. He, he Well, we can't have these people in charge. He'll just let people die, the gay man says, over a lying he-caused HIV outbreak. If he had not waited
20: to prey on it before doing these exchanges, is that the person you want in charge of whether the coronavirus outbreak, someone who needs to prey on something instead of looking at the science? I mean, come on, let's be real about it. Let's just be honest about that. That's the person you want to put in charge of this?
9: Uh, a couple things. Number one, I'm not intimately familiar with the Indiana situation. However, I do know that needle exchanges in some communities have been controversial policy decisions. So I'm not surprised that a governor of a state, Indiana, uh, would stop and take a beat on it. That's number one. Number two, in this particular case, Scott, it looked to, to me like today the president and the vice president had it, Scott, the CDC. He didn't say, I, experts I want to look at the studies. Who were, who were...
20: He did not say, Scott, he didn't say, I want to look at the studies. He said he wanted to prey on it.
9: Yeah, I mean, can I just say do, I mean, I? Do, are you saying that are you saying that our elected officials shouldn't say that they're going to pray? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much a staple of our <laughs> of our political yeah. leadership in this country dating back to the founding. I don't have a problem if a guy says he wants to pray on it. In fact, and I hope he does. I hope they all do. I don't but have that a problem also with anybody praying. I don't have a problem with anybody praying. Do. I
20: have a problem with someone who's who's allowing people to die because he doesn't want to look at science and to save lives and I don't have a problem with anybody preying on anything, but if you're an elected needle, needle, official needle exchange and you're by not way, looking at you the know actual this needle science exchange. and people are dying because you're not looking
7: at a science, I, have, I do have... So, in their fervent effort to get Trump, they now got America in a total panic, people are hoarding shit, masks are costing $195, food's getting sold out. And the stock market tumbled. Well, you want to know why? They already had a plan. Resist event. Patricia Arquette. The followers cause economic shutdown. Hashtag resist. The Lefty co-star, a third installment of Nightmare on L Street series, is apparently trying to help force a nightmare on Wall Street. Patricia's Arquette felt it worthy of the resistance movement to summon her inner Bill Maher and implore followers to tank the U.S. economy. She told her followers not to buy anything on March 2nd, really. Arquette took to her Instagram to post what appears to be a screenshot of a tweet from 15 February where people were talking, let's do this. A reminder, please contact everyone you know on Monday, March 2nd. We're going to have an economic shutdown. Shut shut it down. It's easy. Do not spend any money or anything anywhere. Our goal is to cause a $282.2 billion blip in the federal budget. There is an economic shutdown action. Don't purchase anything. She pushed it out. They wanted to do this so that not only... Would he get dinged for the coronavirus and everything else they can come up with? They'd also be able to get him for the economy. Because remember, they want the economy to dip. And as long as he's not getting good growth, well, we're good, right? We're good to go. So the media, who know this is happening because they're part of the resistance, they do this spin-up just in time. 1,100-point drop in the freaking Dow Jones because the media spun up a bunch of lies about how bad the virus is. And there you go. You got your dip in the economy. That's how far they'll go to own Trump. By no means do I think this isn't a bad disease. There's a lot of people dying, and we don't even know. But all the data that's coming out from scientists and the CDC... Say, there's going to be some areas, there's going to be a disruption in normal activities. You're going to have to stop going out. You're going to have to stop having group functions. Transit might have to be hindered. And there's going to have to be some quarantines of certain areas. But you're seeing where it's happening. People in big cities. Me and the wife, where we live here, there's no cases in the middle of the country. It's not a pandemic. It's not avian flu. It's not H1N1. It's not a pandemic right now. But they need it to be a pandemic. They want Americans to die. If Americans die, that's another thing they can blame on Trump. Because they're calling it the Trump virus. I mean, you don't hear me screaming or getting upset because, you know, that's just, that's what we do. That's what we do. This is our media. They are fucking garbage. They're just garbage people. They'll do anything to get Trump. It is almost criminal. So... Doing the music break. This is going to be totally, totally out of context. Um, and I hate to do it, but I have a very long sound bite I wanted to play. Um, let me see. What are these? These are, uh, hold on a second. I'm not going to play the super long one. I'm going to play a story. Tell your abortion. It's going to be with our gay shit. And I have, or not, our abortion sex. Excuse me. And I have another one. Um, This podcast, we're going to play a 7-minute one and a 14-minute one. These are events that are held where the left gets a bunch of women together, and they talk about how fucking awesome it is to have an abortion. So that's our music for today. Right now we're going to go 7 minutes. When you come back in under the bumper, we'll go into a little hate section and straight into the DNC debate. Listen to these young girls because boys and girls, there was another one now, another abortion video online of a young girl, her and her friend, going to get an abortion and they were super happy. They put it to music. I guess that's how they can justify wanting people to die from a pandemic so Trump won't win because in the end... They do not value human life.
1: I was texting with Amelia, one of the founders, and we kind of just stumbled in this idea of, like, what if we had comics and storytellers talk about their abortions? I put my feelers out there on Facebook. Was like, hey, are there any comics that would tell their abortion stories on stage? And... I was hoping for like three or four three or four and I was like I can put on a show and a few dozen responded I did maybe two tweets about it and before I know it like
2: a hundred people are interested
1: and one hundred people confirmed going and then it just kept growing and growing I think the last I checked Combined totals were like 1,100 people. 1,100 people care about this and want to know more about this. People are desperate for this conversation to happen and people want to know how to join it.
21: Mary is like a creative person, a, a storyteller, a person that's out there, like using her voice publicly in all sorts of different creative ways. She's really just like doing the same stuff she does anyway, putting together a comedy show, talking to women in her community, but abortion.
1: When I first found out about Shout Your Abortion, I was like, this is very aggressive. And it really made me take a look at myself and my own shit. I'm like, why am I why am I scared of this hashtag? And, it, yeah, I think talking Your Abortion itself made me critically re-examine how I feel about abortion and really how progressive are you? we can't even say the fucking word abortion.
4: I've had three abortions. I've
22: made jokes about it in my comedy, but I've never, like, explicitly addressed it. Yeah, I had a few friends that knew, but I just knew that it was going to be, if I even let them in, I was either going to be shut out, uh, it- wasn't going to be talked about and just forgotten
23: sharing the event (laughs) on facebook i was like well there it is (laughs) i'm horrified at the idea of my mom knowing because she's super pro-life um and but at some point, I feel like I am going to need to tell her if I continue to feel like I need to advocate for pro choice movements. So, at some point, gotta bite the bullet and hope she still loves me. If I could get a hold of the video you guys record tonight, if it's poignant enough and if it communicates enough to her why I made the choice I did, maybe that would be the way I'd do it. And that's the thing I've kind of felt about a lot of parents is that they're not okay with it, but once they've experienced it with their own children, I mean, obviously there's exceptions in that, but a lot of the time when parents have that experience with their own children it opens their eyes more and i would hope that that would be an opportunity for that with my mom i'm a
22: recovering alcoholic and i'm like i talk about it so openly i have no problem telling everybody about going to jail or like what got me sober but for whatever reason this is like that part that's still a secret. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. And I have no shame over my addictions. It's just like, why do I let this shame? Oh, and it's like, oh, because you don't talk about it. I'm a little bit halfway expecting that I might cry, but I don't know.
21: I sort of always wanted to talk about it on stage, but I just couldn't really find the right way to do it in, you know, in a comedic manner and, like, make a bit out of it. So this was perfect because it's a storytelling show. My thing is, like, I want somebody to be able to take away the fact that, like, um, you can make jokes about this, but it can also be serious and emotional for you at the same time. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be crass. It can be, though. Like, it can be all of those things, because it is all those things. Thank
1: you, everyone, for coming to this. Clearly, there's a a demand and a desire for people to get up here and talk about their abortion. I didn't expect to sell out. I don't know. This is just amazing.
22: Like... It's overwhelming to look down and to see everyone here is here deliberately. People
23: love hypothetical abortion jokes. That shit's fucking hilarious to them. But as soon as, like, you're in front of them and it's your abortion, they're like, oh, my God. (laughs) My parents don't know because I'm actually very terrified to tell them my mom's pro-life, my dad has said nothing, so I'm assuming pro-life as well. But I haven't figured out how to tell my parents yet because no bakery makes a cake that's frosting with nothing inside. (laughs) My
4: first abortion, I was uh, 17 years old. I also did the abortion pill. So I um, just sat there with his mom and cramped out my pregnancy into a small boat of a pad while eating peanut butter on apples and watching 16 and
2: pregnant. (laughs)
1: My second abortion happened in um, 2014. I decided to... Um, contact the person who impregnated me and I didn't know the best way to do that. I just said, Hi, I'm pregnant and I need money for an abortion. And he was like, is it mine? And I was like,
0: probably.
22: Being able to get ready for this storytelling show allowed me to deal with the fact that I hadn't dealt with having had the abortion. I always thought for the most part I was very pro-choice and I just always thought, you know, but that's just not a choice I would make. And then I found myself in that situation, and it was automatically the choice that I had to make. I was 29, and he was 22. And they don't recommend that. Uh, <laughs> ever. I knew that I was just going to someday have to talk about it, because you can't keep that shit inside. That timeline's too perfect. I took a test on Labor Day, and then got the abortion on September 11th. Hashtag I'll never forget, you know what I mean? I
21: think it was 2011, maybe, when I got my abortion. And I went to Dollar Tree and I got two pregnancy tests. Because <laughs> they're a fucking dollar and they weren't. They say 99.9% accurate and they only cost one dollar, which is good because you're going to fucking need that money later for an abortion. There is not, I think, any right way to talk about abortion, basically. Anyway, the only right way to... Deal with it is just sort of be supportive of the people that experience it in the way that they experience it, however that may be. So, yeah. uh, I feel emotional. Yeah, I am. Like, like, increasingly, this has gotten more emotional for me. But I feel great. That's on. That's the first time I've ever talked about that, ever. Like, I've never talked about that, I've never told
22: that story. I didn't know that this was something I needed to get off my chest. Being able to be here and having people who were so supportive of the story, whatever that story is, you know? Um, it gave me a different perspective of it because I don't know if I necessarily was supportive of even myself. I feel like now this is kind of
4: just like broken and damaged
22: <laughs> that um, I didn't
4: know
1: existed. That I'm gonna like probably be unpacking this for a while. I want people to know that. So many people do it. So many people have done it. So many people, you know, parents have done it. Uh, Their mom might have done it, you know, their waitress might have done it. So many people have abortions and it's okay. And it's not anything to, to, you know, sit alone and, and have to deal with alone. When our culture continues to, like, hide this really massive, true,
4: real thing, um, we are
1: forcing more and more people into darkness about it, to feel alone, to feel shame. This event on its own is just going to spread into the community. It's going to spread some seeds. And then those people, you know, will cultivate it, grow it, and spread, and cultivate it, and grow it, and spread.
0: Back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reed.
24: to yourself. I'm also kind of curious as to why the Fundamental Foundation has received over $525,000, and it just so happens that Angela Padilla is the president of that organization, and these behestments were given in your name. (laughs) We got Chevron giving twenty five thousand dollars. We got AT and T giving twenty five thousand dollars. We got Pfizer giving twenty five thousand dollars. That's completely unethical.
7: Nevada Dem Party chair and California SOS called the police this weekend after several Bernie supporters came to their homes with bullhorns late at night to warn about elections. once again 2016 remember they got job they did a walkout the media didn't cover it Well, they're covering the burners but that's only a line. this was not main news. Maria Estrada, a self-described burner from California, went to Nevada and helped lead the action. It was after 11 p.m. Protesting is our right. Whether they call the police or not is irrelevant. First video was from Nevada. This was from Padilla's home in L.A. The second one at 9 p.m. the night before the Nevada caucus, the chairman of the state Democratic Party had to call the police. Um... Nevada party chair members of the State Assembly confronted Estrada and other Sanders supporters outside his home. Nearly an hour after they arrived, he told them they had crossed the line. She shot back. If any bullshit happens tomorrow, the only person who crossed the line is you. I'm telling you, it's gonna get ugly, my friends, because we're about to get in it. It ain't looking fucking good. He's starting to pull away. So the little hate section before we go into this, and this is going to be a little disconjoined today because we just spent an hour and five minutes on the coronavirus, but we had to cover that, maybe even sidestep that Veritas on ABC, but what's to talk about when we already know that's what the media does. High school class shows slides of Trump next to Nazi and communist symbols. It was Baltimore County, Maryland, got their own dose of leftist indoctrination. There's a slide depicting President Trump next to Nazi swastikas in the Communist Party. Hamill and sickle. were show. The slide of Lock Raven High School showed Trump with a caption, want to round up a group of people and build a giant wall. Below that on the left was a swastika with the caption, been there. And below Trump on the right was a hammer and sickle accompanied by caption, done that banner on the side of the slide read, oh, oh, that's why it sounds so familiar. The school system said Wednesday the slide was not intended to make a political statement. The reverend slide was not part of the curriculum, but the teacher brought it in, and the teacher wasn't suspended. So that pretty much sums up how these people look at it. If there's a hammer and sickle, it would be Bernie. You just heard it. The fascists are out. Omar posts a long list, I am tweet, Sunday night. She posted a list of things Democrat is, including being a Somali, Muslim, and black. Her list, however, never said American. I am, hijabi, Muslim, black, foreign-born, refugee, Somali. Omar tweeted Thursday night. She addressed the tweet to conservatives, anti-Muslim biglets, tinfoil, Conspiracy theorists, birthers, pro occupation groups, and every single xenophobe since 2016. Among others, easily triggered conservatives, right wing bloggers, anti Muslim bigots, Tin Floyd conspiracy theorists, birthers, pay me to bash, Muslim fodster, pro occupation groups, and every single xenophobe since 2016. The entire world said, Where's American? Where? She, she is so volatile, her own party. Today, in a fundraising email, accused her Minnesota CD5 opponents of anti-black racism and Islamophobia. Her current viable opponents are a black male, a black female, a Muslim a Muslim Somali one, Iraqi female Muslim, and another black male. Those are all the Democrats going against her. Her tweet was, fact, Ilian has proven herself to be one of the most progressive members of the Congress, pushing and passing bold reforms like Medicare for All, Homes for All, legislation to cancel all student debt. Fact, Every everyone from her GOP challengers to the Trump administration has tried to silence her. Fact, her challengers and the right-wing media are pouring thousands of dollars into spreading these false messages in bad faith. Everything on this was true. That came from Democrats. Democrats responded to her. So... To DHS stuff, because we're about to hear there's some good stuff that came in it as this podcast goes on. I'm not going to play it. Uh, We're so over on times. But abolish ICE protesters, bully DHS out of a career fair, happened at Kent State over the weekend. And they literally pushed them out of the fucking building. Yeah. But the left, of course, here's just some snippets on that stuff, subject. From people up, like
0: so, you said undocumented immigrants should have been able to receive coverage through Obamacare. This is something that you've said in the past, and you've addressed that in your health plan. Now, let's just say you're the president of the United States, you go to Congress, you're trying to pass the bill, and that becomes the roadblock that, that, that you're just not able to get it through if you're going to provide access for undocumented immigrants. Would you be willing to? To put it aside, or is that something you will not drop?
25: I'm going to fight to make sure that anybody can participate on this plan. Because if we are excluding people from the ability to get in on health insurance, we're not just harming them, we're punishing ourselves. We become a less healthy country. More people will be in emergency rooms because they can't get uh, the preventive treatment that they need up front, and more people will be sick. Nobody wins when that is the case. And so I will do everything in my power to make sure that when we deliver this plan, we do it in a way that everybody can participate. Is it
0: fair to say, just to be clear, that health insurance for undocumented immigrants is a deal breaker for you?
25: I mean, I can't game out every amendment or poison pill, every change they're going to try to make to bring the package together. What I'll say is that that is one of the pillars of the plan as I see it.
7: So, for coronavirus, they want to open the border, and now they want to give them free medical. Still doing that free medical. It's scary. As he's saying crazy shit like that that doesn't conform to anything Americans want, Practically Perfect Pete, people's puff, butt leg, and his majestic or magnetic mate. They did a big front page on how awesome he is. But they, once again, want to open the border. They want people to be able to come in. They want them to give them free fucking health care and all the crazy shit that are why we have problems with coronavirus because we can't stop our borders. We just can't. And there's another video that I can't really play because it's not really got anybody talking. Climbers going right over the wall, man. Right over the fucking wall. We can't stop them. So they try to block... Trump's action, DOJ will revoke citizenship from immigrants who don't disclose how much money they make. Top appeals court says the Trump administration can withhold law enforcement grants for states and cities to cooperate with federal immigration policy. And a major victory on that and the means test. He legally can do it. They can't appeal it until the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court will take it. And the media spiked it. They didn't even cover it. So as the case goes on, Georgetown, illegal immigrants are freedom fighters. Another one of those freedom fighters. But understand, as you people keep on doing this on the left, not only is it the money that we have to spend, the danger of non-vaxxed people coming in our country... Mexico's war on drugs. More than 60,000 people have disappeared. More than 60 people have disappeared in Mexico since the start of the drug war. The number is far higher than previous estimates of 40,000. On top of this, more than 31,000 people have been murdered. Around 53% of those who were disappeared between the ages of 15, 35 and 74 were men. Put the total disappeared persons to 61,637. So basically, over hundred thousand people have died folks that's what we're starting to wanting to stop and as we get ready to go into the debate Austin now sounds alarm on homelessness hitting boiling point so these lefties as we go in you're gonna hear crazy questions you're just gonna hear them freaking out folks this party is dangerous. They will let anybody in because they want to get them to vote for them. They don't see it as a danger. They don't see about security. They see it as voter block. It's a voting block. Every one of their cities have a huge homelessness problem. Crime problems. People shitting on streets. But you don't hear any of that. In the 5,000th debate.
6: Good evening and welcome to a special late night edition of 360. The final Democratic debate before the South Carolina primary and Super Tuesday is now history. And it goes into the books as both a potentially decisive moment of the race for many voters as well as something... Of a brawl or a michigast.
0: I think, however, the candidates generally were not well served by the debate itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, there were points that, unfortunately, the moderators seemed to lose control of the debate. And any sort of uh, moments that could have had for decent um, statement and somebody responding to a statement that was made about them just kind of erupted into free-for-alls. There were
6: times when the, there were two people, two oh, candidates okay, talking just right. here What's repeatedly at the same time.
0: Exactly, and of course, every candidate there. Uh, was thinking, uh-oh, I, have gotta do well here because this could be yeah. it for me except for Bernie maybe. So, so you know what the stakes were. Um, I, I, think it was a difficult and
21: chaotic and frustrating debate, which is about where we are in terms of the Democratic primary process to begin with. So if you're coming in, it was, it was a decent entry point to the way the contest <laughs> is,
6: is going at this point. I think if... you think CBS intentionally was <laughs> modeling
10: <laughs> it. They it must
6: was, have. It
11: been was meta. meta like they, they, yes, they were, they were,
21: they were trying to, to mimic the the actual feeling of being one of us and uh, and they did a brilliant job of It I
11: was also
13: co-hosted by twitter so this does yeah. feel a lot like twitter you know what that makes debate. perfect sense
10: just across the street as you mentioned at the top of the of the debate is the theater where nine people were shot and killed inside the mother emmanuel church we all remember that day back in 2015 and every day in our country over 100 people die from gun violence You all have plans, I know, on this stage to address the gun crisis, but Congress has not been able to pass a major gun legislation in a quarter of a century. And just think about this. In those 25 years, we've had Columbine, Newtown, Parkland, Las Vegas. We could go on and on. Vice President Biden, I want to start with you. Why should anyone have faith that you're the one who can get this done now? I want to allow Senator Sanders
0: to respond because you've gone after the insurance industry. You've taken on pharmaceutical companies and you've taken on big tech. Why did you vote repeatedly to give gun manufacturers a pass?
11: You're the front runner in this race. You're on the ballot in South Carolina. Mayor Bloomberg, you'll understand that preamble in just a second. If elected, Senator Sanders, you would be America's first Jewish president. You recently called a very prominent, well-known American-Israel lobby a platform for, quote, bigotry. What would you say to American Jews who might be concerned you are not, from their perspective, supportive enough of Israel, and specifically, sir, would you move the U.S. Embassy back to Tel Aviv?
0: Senator Sanders, we haven't had a national unemployment rate this low for this long in 50 years. Here in South Carolina, the unemployment rate is even lower. How will you convince voters that a democratic socialist can do better than President Trump with the economy?
26: Well, you're right. The economy is doing really great for people like Mr. Bloomberg and other billionaires.
10: Mayor Bloomberg, as mayor of New York, you declared war on obesity. You banned trans fats from restaurants and you tried to do the same with large sugary drinks. So if you become president, will you push those policies on the national level as well? Before I leave you, are New Yorkers living longer because of your policies?
20: Uh, There's no question about that.
16: Uh, you've praised the Chinese Communist Party for lifting more people out of extreme poverty than any other country. You also have a track record of expressing sympathy for socialist governments in Cuba and in Nicaragua. Can Americans trust that a democratic socialist president will not give
0: authoritarians a f-
14: and, and, and as far as Bernie Sanders goes, he's, he built out that coalition in the state of Nevada, a broader co- coalition than he had in New Hampshire and in Iowa. But you're already starting to see these, these attacks for his background as a Democratic Socialist. How deep will that cut uh, in South Carolina? And if he's the nominee, do you think it could put the House majority in danger?
27: A lot of people think so. I do believe It'll be an extra burden for us to have to carry. Uh, This is South Carolina, and South Carolinians are pretty leery about that title, uh, socialist. And so I think that that would be a real burden for us in these states or congressional districts that we have to do well in. If you look at how well we did the last time and look at the congressional districts, these were not liberal or what you might call progressive districts, these are basically moderate and conservative districts that we did well in. And in those districts, it's going to be tough to hold on to these jobs uh, if you have to um, uh, make the case uh, for accepting uh, a self-proclaimed democratic socialist.
14: Congressman Claiborne, thanks for your time this morning.
27: Thank you for having me.
7: The The wheels are coming off. Each network just bashes the other network for how they did the debate, because that's all they could come up with, because everybody's a fucking hot mess. CBS poll, viewers feel nervous after watching Dem debate. Uh, Co-host Anthony Mason on CBS Morning touted a new poll conducted by the network immediately following Tuesday's debate. The survey of Democrat debate watchers found that 47% felt nervous about the field of 2020 candidates. Um, I was... Worried about you up there, Mason remarked to fellow co-host Gail King. The gunfire was going in both directions. Oh, I know, Anthony. There was so much incoming. A couple times I'm like, okay, all right. Moments later, Mason noted, in a CBS News poll of debate, nearly half the viewers were spoken, spoke to, said they were nervous about the candidates. Almost the same amount said they were optimistic. In the poll respondents were asked to check all that apply when confronted with a series of adjectives. 47% Forty seven percent nervous, forty-two percent optimistic, twenty-five percent inspired, twenty-five excited, sixteen pessimistic, thirteen uninspired. Another interesting finding was sixty-nine percent of the viewers thought the candidates spent more of their time criticizing. Bernie Sanders ended the debate as a frontliner after last night's performance. Does it remain in that position, do you think? I think so. They all discovered he was a front-runner in a way. And I felt like one of the disaster films where somebody's rummaging through the drawers through anything. It was a good night for him. Even though it's an aggregate, it was a night full of kind of messiness for Democrats. So for the first time, journals are asking Pelosi. Pelosi tells reporters that she is comfortable with Bernie Sanders as a potential nominee and doesn't think he would jeopardize the House majority. I think whoever nominee is, we will enthusiastically embrace him. Yeah. She says that because the polls say she's wrong. But we'll get to that. Joe Biden said there's been 150 million Americans killed since 2007 for shooting. That was not a big thing. There was no fat checks. There were no Pinocchios. Yeah. How did most serious Dems handle the debate? Putin knows what he's doing. That was (laughs) Cherry Jacobs. A Democratic pundit. Putin. Putin's in charge. Yeah. Tom Elliott, Senator Warren, repeats her debunked claims she was fired as a teacher for being pregnant. Attacks Bloomberg for telling an employee to kill her in utero baby. Rebecca Ballhouse, Michael Bloomberg's presidential campaign is hiring hundreds of workers in California to say nice things about him via text and social media. None of that was covered. Twitter suspends 70 pro Bloomberg accounts for platform manipulation because they're the same people with different accounts and they're cutting and pasting the same shit. That wasn't addressed. Poll from Black Lead Pack Blacks getting fed up with Democratic Party. A survey conducted by Pol- Political Action Committee that describes itself as an independent black led organization revealed that more than half of the respondents from the Democrat Party is not responsive enough to their needs. Black PAC states on a website Black Voters are the core of the modern progressive coalition. We gauge our community around the issue that matter most for protecting our voting rights, the fair economy, and quality schools for our children. We believe in talking to black voters on these issues at their doors, neighborhoods online. We educate, register, and mobilize black voters and use our power to hold our elected representatives accountable. From a Politico article, so this is not Daily Caller, Dems, anybody out there is a progressive, this is from Politico. More than one third of all black voters surveyed expressed a desire for someone else to run, given the option to vote for Democratic nominee Donald Trump or a third party candidate. Trump and the third party candidate each received 12% of support. Adrian Shopshire, executive director of Black Pack, asserted Black voters are extremely anxious right now about what's happening in the country. It matters not the age category of the people that live in rural or suburban communities. People are paying attention at a higher rate. Politico added Black Pack found that 28% of black voters in its survey reported either seeing Trump campaign ads, receiving mail paraphernalia, or being directly contacted by Trump campaign. To which Donna Brazil said, I just can't because he's targeting them. Chops, caution, this happens every election cycle. We hear from black voters of concern on whether Democrats are taking their votes for granted. We also know the vast majority of African-Americans will vote Democrat. It's because people are making a political calculation on what's the best interest of the community and then the country. Yeah, she added that in, that's bullshit. As a Daily Wire reported last week, Senator Tim Scott, who was black, predicted that Trump would see a huge uptick from black voters in November. He stated Trump will see a 50% increase in his African-American support, and will go from 8 to a minimum of 12%, and may even get 15%. And that pack agreed. To the poll, Why they're asking the questions, to Nancy Pelosi, poll, Bernie Sanders threatens down-ticket races, may sink dim house hopes, Clyburn even said it on TV, an internal poll from Bloomberg, which helped him, of course. Said that Bernie Sanders' nomination could drag down vulnerable House Democrats trying to hold on to the competitive districts. According to a new poll conducted by their campaign, it's fresh data for moderates warning about a wipeout of Sanders' emergence to lead the ticket. Uh, see, Trump opens a six-point advantage after a list of negative message about Sanders' ideology. And allegedly, in effectiveness, the Senate presented a poll response, Politico said. And if Trump is reelected, Senators make it much e- easier for Republicans to regain control of the House, which swung to Democrats in 2018. A plurality of voters, 39%, say they will be less likely to vote for a Democrat for Congress if Sanders is the Democratic nominee and his ideas are folded in a party platform. That's nearly double the 21% who said they would be more likely to vote. Thirty-four said it would not impact it. Mm-hmm. But the media, as you heard on that soundbite, they're going back and forth. They don't, they don't really know what to do because he keeps saying shit like this.
26: Taking him on. What is democratic socialism? When Donald Trump was a private businessman in New York, he got $800 million in tax breaks and subsidies to build luxury housing. That's called corporate socialism. What democratic socialism is about is saying, let's use the federal government to protect the interest of working families.
6: Back in the 1980s, Sanders had some positive things to say about the former Soviet Union and the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. And the, everybody was totally convinced. Here he is explaining why the Cuban people didn't rise up and help the U.S.
26: overthrow Cuban leader Fidel Castro. And he educated the kids, gave them health care, totally transformed a society. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But, you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Even though Fidel Castro did it? There's a lot of p- dissidents imprisoned in, in That's right. And we condemn that. Unlike Donald Trump, let's be clear. You wanna, I do not think that Kim Jong-un is a good friend. I don't trade love letters with a murdering dictator. Vladimir Putin, not a great friend of mine.
14: We've got a candidate who's risen in the polls because of his track record. Bernie has all of this loopy stuff in his background saying things like, you know, uh, women get cancer from having too many orgasms or toddlers should run around naked and touch each other's genitals to so insulate themselves from porn. Why has what? this stuff not been more surfaced? He's written about women's rape fantasies. That hasn't been surfaced. That's the loony side of Bernie. The policy side of Bernie is he has not been good on immigration. He has not been good on criminal justice reform. He was a, an avid backer of the 94 crime bill he's bad on guns uh, bad on immigration and as a legislator as a member of the senate I think he's only sponsored seven pieces of legislation two for post offices in Vermont
28: join me now daily beast columnist Margaret Carlson and Eugene Scott political reporter for the Washington Post Margaret you know I've covered Cuba for years and there's a lot of great things to say about their social services their education their health system but it has Sanders stepped into something in that it's controversial with voters in Florida? A lot of people.
0: Well, he stepped into losing 29 electoral votes in that state and hurting anybody uh, down the ballot. You could you can say in a in a kind of offhand way that Castro did a lot for literacy in Cuba, but you have to immediately acknowledge what awful things he did forced labor camps, all kinds of repression, and killed his own people. Uh, and, and there's simply no way to balance the two uh, except to pivot right to that. It shows just how stubborn Senator Sanders can be that he didn't take the opportunity handed to him last night to do both.
28: Now, the other thing, Eugene, that is reverberating is the Bloomberg campaign's very aggressive social media practices. They've deleted a bunch of tweets, really snarky tweets that were jumping on Sanders for what he said about Castro and then saying, well, if he likes that dictator, what might he say about Putin? And then completely fabricating, you know, jokey tweets, which really cross a bar. And it it echoes that fake video that they created out of last week's debate, making it look like Bloomberg on the stage had put everyone else on the spot when
26: he absolutely did not. The the United States, that will end. Russia will not interfere in our elections.
28: It, the, the overall tone of what you say were attacks on you were not just about you because they want to be the front runner, not you. It was about you as an existential threat to the Democrats yeah. and the notion of trying to beat uh, Donald Trump. And I'm just wondering how you combat that, not only on the presidential level, but also down ballot. I mean, I, I know I've heard from lots of Democrats who are focused on and even themselves trying to win again in suburbs who are uh, freaking out. And, and, well,
26: and Dana, you know, look, no let's term. be clear. The establishment is freaking out. The corporate media, to a larger degree, is freaking out. As you're aware, some really horrific things have been said about me on at least one television channel the establishment is worried Wall Street is worried the drug companies are worried the insurance companies are worried the fossil fuel industry is worried and you know what they should be worried but here is the point in the last 50 polls that have been done nationally guess what Bernie Sanders beat Donald Trump 47 times out of 50 I will beat Trump in battleground states like Michigan Pennsylvania and Wisconsin just look at the polling this last weekend I beat Trump the way you beat Trump in my view is to have the largest voter turnout in the history of this country. And if you run a campaign in the same old, same old way that we have run it in the past, if it's on energy and excitement, if you're not getting working class people to get involved in the political process, if you're not bringing millions of young people into the political process, and we are doing that, I think Trump is going to win.
28: And just to be more, even more specific, Nancy Pelosi is Speaker of the House because
8: the Democrats...
14: I think Bernie's campaign has run itself in a very thuggish way. There are very Trumpy-like aspects to the way that Bernie's been running things.
8: Or is it just that they're winning? I mean, is that what's changed? No,
14: because this became this happened before the debate. You know, Bernie's team put out falsehoods about Mike that we had to answer. Uh, Bernie has gone through this campaign without being held accountable. He hasn't been vetted as thoroughly by the media as some of the other candidates, other Democrats on the stage. Bernie has a very trippy record, to say the least. Bernie has all of this loopy stuff in his background saying things like, you know, uh, women get cancer from having too many orgasms or toddlers should run around naked and touch each other's genitals to insulate themselves from porn. Why has this stuff not been more surfaced? He's written about women's rape fantasies. That hasn't been surfaced. That's the loony stuff.
26: Okay, I think what we're going to do
14: now, what we're going to do
26: now is take a little walk to the polls. People ready to walk a little bit? You know, I think back now, you know, I'm thinking back, some of you may be familiar with Nelson Mandela. Remember that? And his fight for freedom in South Africa. And people marching to the polls. And I'm thinking about the civil rights movement and people marching to the polls. Well, we're fighting to change America. Let's go out. I think the polling booths are pretty close to here. Is that right? Student Union Building. All right, let's take a little walk. Let's vote. Let's change America. Thank you.
2: The thing that that struck
0: me, and and particularly on the answers on Cuba and digging himself a deeper hole, is that Bernie Sanders is just this bulldozer who just—he's
25: like a fortress. Fortress,
0: Mount Bernie, Bernie. just you, you keep
25: going at him
0: and you can ask him and he will never change his position. Keep coming at me because those are good. (laughs) good. You just, I've
6: been there on stage
11: and he has like, has a force field and everything you say to him, it's like, let me be clear. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to talk about what I'm going to talk about. Yeah, it's right. going to have some. Relationship but that was to, what was what you and asked
6: and me. Was no, but it not is not really going to be what you'd ask me about, and that, it's going to I mean, now go into a Bernieism. So and then afterwards, you're like, okay, what just happened? <laughs> no, 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 no. But so, that, and was, and that was, if that, if was that was that no was way to
0: get off of, to get him off of it. So when it's a question about Cuba,
6: right.
0: uh, he will continue to give that answer that he gave to you. That he he'll give it. He'll give it again tonight, and then he'll dig himself a deeper hole.
11: Another issue that he d- did not address clearly. In an interview with our colleague earlier this week, Anderson Cooper, was the exact cost of his Medicare for All plan. I mean, it's late in the race. We're we're, we're nine months to folks going to polls, less than nine months going to polls. Why isn't there a straight answer to that question?
4: I can't answer to why he didn't answer that with a straight answer. Um, I can tell you for myself why I am not concerned about that. Um, it's funny that when it comes to the things that the poor and yeah. the disenfranchised need, we are all of a sudden concerned about money. We're
19: not concerned about money. How we not be
11: concerned about money? Out it's it's, it's how we. It's either if it's well, a real thing, we've got to be able to pay for it. do we have
21: to, to go it. to war? Well, uh, fair well, fair well, point, but I'm asking you, uh, this, where, has, where, this has for. Where do we get it
2: from?
11: This has well, borrowing. But we, we're borrowing a lot of money. I mean, the fact is to to to, to meet. Uh, the vision that Bernie Sanders is talking about here, yeah. it's not clear where that money's coming from. I'm just just—I'm concerned as a supporter of him. Why aren't well, you okay. concerned that there isn't I, a more specific I get it, answer? right.
4: Let's just be honest, though. There's there's money for whatever people want to spend money on, whether it's the Republican uh,
18: administration
4: or the Democratic. Um, I think when we talk about money, fundamentally, we get wrapped around the axle. but honestly, if we really ah, knew where the money was being
10: spent right
18: now, we would say we didn't have money for I, I, that either, right? I think has, it is going to come from somewhere.
7: He tripled down support for Castro. You heard him there. Even Camarada, that toad over on CNN, was taken back by all the stuff, the rape fantasies. I mean, it's just a mess. And Twitter knows that. Because why most of the media is dogging him, they... Blocked MRC TV video, of Berners praising Castro. The tweet was watch Bernie Sanders defend his love for Cuban dictator Fidel Castro. Thousands of Cuban Americans who have been separated from their families by Castro celebrated when Castro died in twenty sixteen. The follow-up media include potentially sensitive content. They blocked it because they didn't want it to get out. They don't want this shit out there. But those are his words. He said it. It's so bad NBC News actually ran the no-brainer of no-brainer. If Sanders wins the nomination, some Democrats worry President Trump will hammer him on his long-buried words in defense of governments in Nicaragua, Cuba, and the USSR. Why wouldn't he? The New York Times, who's done puff pizza about Cuba and said that Castro was a great fucking goob, did opinion pieces. New York Times, worry about Bernie's praise of Cuban literacy under Castro. So Matthews, who was taken to the woodshed for dogging him, he waited till after the damn debate. It doesn't sound like he's changing his mind on Sanders.
15: I think 60 Minutes deserves credit. They got the question out there on the table of Bernie Sanders' ideological flirtations, whatever you call them, over the years. I grew up with Castro as a kid. We all rooted for him until he started executing every one of his enemies by firing squad, allying himself with the Soviet Union, and at one point aiming uh, medium-range nuclear weapons at every one of our major cities short of uh, Seattle. We began to think, maybe he's not our friend. There are real issues in this campaign, and one of them you talked about tonight. The nature of the health care system. All Democrats struggle for some kind of universal health care system. But we also struggle for freedom. Yeah, and it's a choice. big part of our culture. But what's That's democratic socialism? Thing. I would think democratic would mean you have an option not to do it. there would be a free society option. <laughs> democratic <laughs> It doesn't seem democratic if you must go with the only health care system available to you. Is, is federal government run, and if you don't like it, you're, you're stuck. You I'm said something answer. that <laughs> jumped out at me, and I don't like numbers on TV. It's the worst medium for it, but you said something really smart. You said this guy's total social package of spending is $60 trillion, which is three times the United States economy, not the government, three times the entire thing. Exactly. Well, I think that got my my attention. It seems to be the number one Republican talking point starting pretty soon after after Milwaukee, whoever, if it's Bernie's the nominee, will be, we're getting rid of your health, your private health care. And people are always more uh, concerned about what they have rather than what they might get. And it seems to be by saying you cannot have private health insurance once this is over. Once I get in there, you don't have an option. You said something that was pretty rough, and I thought it was very much in tune with the mood of the week, (laughs) given what happened on 60 Minutes this Sunday and the discussion of Bernie Sanders comments over the years, over the years about Castro. And you said nobody's getting elected in this country talking about the bright side of the Castro. Regime. But he has said nice things about the Castro regime. Well, according to the Cuban Archive, a nonprofit which promotes human rights in Cuba, an estimated 5,600 Cubans died in front of firing squads. Another 1,200 have been killed in extrajudicial assassinations. It estimates that 78,000 may have died trying to escape from that island. It's not a free country. It's not a free country. And Bernie Sanders wouldn't say it's a free country. Throw well, he's not, of Castro has not just been playing defense. And you know this, sorry. He brought in medium-range nuclear weapons no, that could hit every U.S. city except Seattle. Not, he is our enemy. He, he has he been was. our enemy. Yeah. We were all rooting for him as kids. You know that? I'm older than you. And Bernie knows this. We all rooted for Castro when he came in. He said, I'm a Democrat. Well, I'm going to overthrow that terrible regime, and I'm going to be a Democratic leader of that country. And he lied to us. Yeah.
7: And all the while in the backdrop, Trump approval, 48. He's staying there. Something else the media ignored. Eight Mississippi elected officials leave Dems and independents to join the GOP in their house. And Fox News, which I touched last time, now has the highest ratings in 24 fucking years. They owned everything. Everything. They are just crushing it. It's not looking good for the Dems. Especially if your big play is to blame Trump for the coronavirus. Say he needs to talk to the nation, then criticize him for talking to the nation and playing the old Mike Pence and his god shit. It just doesn't stop. They're horrible fucking people. To our media section. I want you to go back to the time when Obama was President of the United States. He talked off his nose and he preached to us. And we were told when a president's on foreign soil, you can't criticize that president. Criticizing that president is un-American. We also were told during that time that you must respect the office of the President of the United States. Well, Jim Acosta decided... To call the president a liar on foreign soil. If you're in conservative media, Trump bashed Acosta. The left did. Jim Acosta tells Trump that CNN record on delivering truth is a lot better than yours sometime. And they said, as Mediaite did, look at that. Acosta just gave it to Trump. I don't think how that was that was actually read that way, Libs. I went to Twitter the majority was, this isn't a good look, especially when the presidents on foreign soil.
12: I just wanted to follow up on uh, my colleague's question about Russian interference. Can you pledge to the American people that you will not accept any foreign assistance in the upcoming election? And on this idea of a purge in your administration, uh, there was recently the departure of your acting DNI Joseph McGuire. You replaced him with your ambassador to Germany, Rick Rennell. Uh, Some of your critics have uh, pointed out that Ambassador Grinnell has no intelligence experience. How can you justify to the American people having an acting DNI with no intelligence
27: experience? Okay, first of all,
14: I want no help from any country. And I haven't been given help from any country. And if you see what CNN, your wonderful network, said, uh, I guess they apologized in a
12: way for... Didn't they apologize for the fact that they said certain things that weren't true? Tell me, what was their apology yesterday? What did they say? Mr. President, I think our record on delivering the truth is a lot better than yours sometimes. You don't mind me saying.
14: Let me tell you about your record. Your record is so bad, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I'm not ashamed of anything in our organization. You probably have the worst worst record in the history of broadcasting.
7: It's fucking unbelievable. I mean, it's so inappropriate. Uh, Andrew Feinberg, uh, Acosta asked Trump it's say if he won't take foreign help in election and how he can rectify justify Rick Gunnell as DNI. He responds, I don't want help from anybody. Trump quickly smacked Acosta down, reminding him that CNN itself had just reported that the report on Russia trying to help his campaign was BS. Andrew, then Trump then gets in a spat with Acosta who says that the worst record in broadcasting. Acosta says CNN's record telling the truth. is better than Trump's. Shelby Talcott, Mr. President, I think our record on delivering blah, 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 blah. Your record's so bad, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, Trump says. Eddie Zipperer, we've told the truth more often than you have sometimes. The Hill thought it was great. Joe Concha, media reporter. Original report later walked back. Acosta has one of three bylines saying it's all bullshit, so the president was actually right. Joe Pollock. Acosta calling the president a liar to his face in front of a foreign audience on the basis of nothing is a bad look. He came all the way around the world to make a jerk out of himself. Jeremy Barr, Chris Wallace, who has criticized Jim Costa in the past, said he was horrified by Acosta's back and forth with Trump today. It's not our job to get in a fight with the president. It's not our job to one-up the president. Well, for what it's worth, CNN Digital Worldwide VP and spokesman Matt Dornick doesn't take kindly to Wallace saying that. Chris Wallace literally works for state TV. I don't think Acosta or any real journalists ought to be taking advice from him. The entire world, real journalists? Do you have anybody over there that's a real journalist? it It's inappropriate when you're doing articles like Trump doctor hid cauliflower and mashed potato to improve his diet. The Hill, CNN, everybody did it. Or articles like Miracle on Ice Team shamed by Washington Post for meeting Trump. Or when Obama went to India, they covered it 21% more or 21 times more than they did with President Trump. They didn't even report he got cheered. They didn't. Or as we said, let's call it the Trump virus. Trump's just going to let people die. So I thought we'd start on the beginning. A, we purposely are jamming fucking Trump, go through the coronavirus, and end up on Jim Acosta before we go to news and social media nuggets. It all makes sense. Our media is garbage. They will do anything for Democrats, and it's goddamn criminal that for eight years we were told we couldn't criticize the president, and we damn sure couldn't do it on foreign soil, but a major networks reporter argued with the president of the United States in a foreign country. That's garbage. So, for our next musical event of listening... Let's listen to, uh, we're going to listen to Chapo. I was going to do this in our lighter fair, but we'll do it right now. Been watching a lot of, uh, you know, Narcos and other Narcos show, which if you've never watched Inside the Real Narcos, there's a SF guy that went down there and actually went to Peru, Colombia, Mexico, pretty interesting. Well, one of his visits to Mexico, They have million-dollar mansions for their tombs. They're air-conditioned. Bulletproof. Got bars on windows. It's a cemetery. But it's houses. That's how much money Mexican narcos had. We come on the other side. We'll go straight into news, social media nuggets.
29: Pujacan, Mexico long considered one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Some of Mexico's most infamous narco-traffickers dating back to the 50s have come from this region, including Mexico's most wanted drug lord, El Chapo. Here, narco-culture thrives. The Jesus Malverde Shrine is a popular attraction for tourists and traffickers alike. Malverde is a local legend and Robin Hood figure. ¿Quién es y
14: qué
3: Mar- es el, el, es el milagrosa.
29: Traffickers are known to visit the shrine to ask for Malverde's blessing when it comes to drug deals, shipments, even murder. visit to the local cemetery is probably the most telling example of how Mexico's narco wars have played out in Culiacán. And it's the cemetery of known narco traffickers where they construct these huge mausoleums over the grave site. The family takes proceeds you know of, of, of the dealer basically and builds these structures in honor of their death. These can cost as much as apartments here. This one even has bars over the windows and a central alarm system here the dead are better off than many are in life this mausoleum boasts a leather sofa an homage to a girl and his camaro and even bottles of ace of spades champagne so many are so young 18 20 21 it's a generation lost to a drug war that seems to know no end. On another episode of Seeker Stories,
23: from pot delivery services to marijuana yoga sessions to high-end dinners featuring different strains of weed rather than wine, a new cannabis culture is emerging.
29: If you want to see all your favorite Seeker content three days earlier, check out Vessel. Follow the link in the description to get a free 30-day trial.
0: Back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reed.
24: I seen your picture. Your name is lots of bullies. Were you trying to get crazy
0: with this, scene? Eh? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets the crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind.
30: I'm Edward Nuret with Campus Reform. Today we're at George Washington University asking students if they think President Obama or President Trump deserves more credit for the economy. All right, so a few days ago, President Obama in a tweet implied that he was responsible for, uh, you know, the strong economy right now. President Trump responded saying it's him. So we want to know what students think. You know, who do you think deserves credit for the good economy we have right now obama or trump
31: that's such a good question i want to say obama because like that's where my heart goes
30: uh obama
31: i would say president obama i don't think definitely obama
32: president obama just being that he
29: got us out of the trenches from where we were well right now i think that they both definitely have had a part in it but i would like to give obama more credit what main reason
30: would you give to give President Obama the edge. What What did he do that kind of pushes him over the edge for you as, as deserving maybe slightly more credit? Well,
29: honestly, I'm not sure.
4: It's Obama, personally, because like, looking at Trump and what he's done, I feel like he's benefited more
32: towards like, the upper class. The economy that we have now uh, would have been nothing without him. It would have just been like uh, failing.
31: I mean, because I feel like when Trump came into office, the economy was already booming. But my brain says that it has to be a combination and, like, if Trump used the momentum that Obama started, like, even though he increased the debt a lot, like, the economy is looking a little bit a little bit better.
6: The trajectory that we're on right now uh, is definitely still coming out of Obama's economy. Um, Trump still has yet to create as many jobs. Um.
21: Just because um, if you look at, like, statistical measurements, well, Trump has done some things to improve the economy, like long term at least you can see obama's done more like
30: with which which measurements to you kind of like would show that
21: um trying to think of a few that i've read just
30: do you think president trump deserves any credit at all do you think he's made the economy worse what are your thoughts there
31: I feel like economy can't change like that because Obama built it up so much. I I don't know about a good job, but it's surprisingly... It was a pleasant surprise for someone who, like, wasn't a Trump voter to see that the economy didn't crumble and the world didn't end once he got elected.
2: I
32: honestly feel like Trump really hasn't done much for the economy to, like, like rave about. Um, I mean, he's done some things, but, like, like, with Obama, I can, like, pinpoint things. But, like, with Trump, like, if you ask me, like, what has Trump done, I mean, I'm like, uh, I don't know. So
4: comparing the two of them, I just think that Trump is not as open-minded as Obama was in terms of like, the economy and, like, international economics and trade
6: and whatnot. Uh, GDP is growing. The stock market is doing fine. But uh, as far as how actual people are functioning in the economy, they're struggling to pay their bills. They're struggling to pay um, health care costs. They're working two and three jobs.
30: Would you say the, the metric of people working multiple jobs, uh, health care expenses, would you say that was true also of Obama's presidency, though? largely uh
21: income tax thing was passed i want to say in like 2017 2018 Mm. like that mainly benefited the upper class
30: a recent poll found uh, that 62 percent of americans would credit president trump what do you think the thinking is along those lines
31: i would say that the like economy is a lot more um visible now whereas it wasn't like a huge um focus during the obama administration
30: you mentioned the tax cuts um you know a lot of people talk about you know, eighty percent of Americans did get a tax cut with that. Uh, the things like the low unemployment, the manufacturing jobs. So, why do you think maybe sixty-two percent of Americans think it's Trump, and then maybe the rest of the country, like you guys, think it's Obama? What kind of reasons do you think these people are saying? Hey, Trump, President, President Trump does deserve credit.
21: Um, it could be just like age differences, like perhaps. Like Gen X obviously has more like time with like employment.
30: those numbers may be
32: factual I mean that's that that could be true, but um that's a good one <laughs> um
4: our parents generation i feel I feel that they think more about like themselves individually, and I feel like as college students we see a more global and bigger picture, and we're exposed to people from all social classes, so we have a more like worldwide point of view.
29: well, it'd be hard to argue that. The economy's been worse since he's been president, especially with the lowest unemployment we've had, like under 3%. I'd be glad to give Trump the credit, but like it's hard to separate
32: that from what he's done as far as his tweets and the things he's done to people.
6: The administration have been pretty on their talking points about um, record black unemployment, even though that is, again, a holdover of the Obama presidency.
30: So who do you think deserves more credit for the economy we have today, President Trump or President Obama? Personally, I would say President Trump. Uh, I just think the tax cuts helped a lot, and I think uh, deregulation really helps a lot.
7: Ah, uh, that's a bunch of college kids doing what the media did. Hey, Obama's better. Trump bad. Baylor students call a chapel presentation infused with liberalism. Their statement it was once again come to our attention that Baylor University Chapel has taken on a political agenda of programming... Progressive wing of the Baylor faculty. This morning, several of our members attended chapel and were met again with liberal agenda. Sorry, I need coffee to keep this going, guys. I'm about to fall asleep. Um, Caitlin Curtis has made a career as the author preaching postmodern Christianity. ...to a frame of Native American culture. Today in the chapel, her speaking time began and ended with a prayer to Mother Mystery rather than God and Jesus Christ. She proceeded to rail against white patriarchal colonizers she believes that she fights against in her eyes. God serves to facilitate decolonization of society and return of rule of dominion of America to its original inhabitants. Continuing her divisive speech, Curtis railed against toxic patriarchy and capitalism as being stumbling blocks on the way to justice. She continually made use of the term colonizers and white supremacists to attack those who were in the silent disagreement. The speech was not out of character with what she has said publicly before. Curtis has railed against conservative Christians, and Trump. If you're willing to call Donald Trump a white supremacist, you aren't paying attention. She also claimed that Trump is an evangelicist of white nationalism and white supremacy and his message must be rejected on the grounds of faith by responsible Christians. However, her understanding of Christianity is surface level best. In An article on her blog she rejected the biblical call to be in the world but not of the world, saying, do we need to be saved from anything? Probably. <clears throat> we see the way the system of hate and white supremacy have permeated the earth and destroyed people. We've seen how dangerous the ideas is and in, in, in this out black versus white, us versus them can be. Maybe we need to save ourselves and each other from the wreckage. Young conservatives of Texas a Baylor Starley disavowed today's chapel service and requested the university formally and publicly apologize to students, alumni, and faculty for breaking with the mission to provide an unapologetically Christian chapel experience and for allowing a speaker of pagan sympathies to mislead students once again. As of this podcast, they have not apologized. I don't even know why a college would let a conservative get up there. It's supposed to be non-denominational. That's usually how those go. Student government denies conservative group funding, citing value differences. The Trinity University Student Government Association has also, again, defined funding for young conservatives of Texas. Trinity YCD requested $1,500 to bring a commenter, Alicia Krauss, to campus. They didn't give it, but they gave money to all liberal groups. And that's pretty surprising, because it's fucking Trinity. Kansas University, or the University of Kansas, announced an art contest titled, But the Chicken's Good. The Sexuality and Gender Diversity Facility, our Faculty and Staff Council, the KU Department of Visual Arts, are hosting a contest in March. In light of the controversy over the installation of a Chick-fil-A in Kansas Memorial Union, the SGDFS Council would like to open up campus conversation about the meaning of brand flyer said the guiding theme of the contest, but the chicken's good. And both undergraduates and graduate students are invited to submit submissions that explore what the presence of Chick-fil-A on campus signifies to them. <laughs> My God, you people just can't let it go. Some members of KU community have felt alienated and angered over the university's decision to let these motherfuckers in because their virulent homophobic views. Others cite out allegiance to the food tastiness and lack of their inexpensive options. There's been outrage in Kansas and campus ever since the announcement that construction for a new Chick-fil-A would begin on campus. In a letter to school, the faculty accused the company of discrimination towards LGBTQ community and argued that the high visibility Chick-fil-A on campus could harm the physical, emotional, and mental well-being of marginalized and LGBTQ people. Chick-fil-A is known for its Judeo-Christian values Most notably, being closed on Sunday, the Sabbath. See? Bending the knee to Glad and Gay Alliance didn't do you shit, Chick fil A. They still fucking hate you. So, gonna go into gay shit. You're gonna hear another shot your abortion. This girl is a cute young girl. You would have never in a million years think she's this fucking extreme. And then we see the pedophilia again. Pedophilia. You're gonna hear butt leg being approached by a mother fucking little kid. What do I do about coming out? And New Amsterdam. All right, literally, uh, this was a TV show.
31: Had an abortion about a year and a half ago, December. I found out in the middle of November, I was about six weeks in, uh, was in a very abusive relationship physically and emotionally, um, found out under very unfortunate circumstances, didn't really feel like I had anyone, the person involved, uh, tried to skip states on me, so the whole thing it was really heartbreaking, um, I didn't really feel like I had anyone, but, um... I did have one friend that was very involved, and they took me to, my uh, like, campfirehead, and we discussed our options, and it wasn't an issue of, like, making a decision, like, morally, it was just financially, at that point, because I was very poor, <laughs> and they really worked with me, like, really worked with me, and made sure, like, everything was okay, and, messed you know, everything up appropriately, like, time-wise, for me, um, but, yeah, if I hadn't had that opportunity, I don't know where I would be. I'd, I don't know if I would be alive right now because I probably would have never found the strength to leave that relationship if I
2: hadn't
31: made, like, a solid, cautious decision and realized, like, that a lot of really hard decisions like that usually can save your life. So, yeah, that's why it's really important, you know. Like, I am a junior in college now. Like, that would have never happened if I had decided to just not do anything to be proactive, so, yeah, it saved my life,
33: for sure. Uh, The next question comes from Zachary,
8: age 9, and this is a really touching question. He says, thank you for being so brave. Would you help me tell the
33: world I'm gay too? I want to be brave like you.
2: Wow.
25: Zachary, if you're here and you want to give a wave, let me know. Hey! (laughs) Zachary, are <laughs> you going to come right up? All right. Hey. All right. Thank you very much. This is for me. Thank you. Did you make it? Zachary just gave me something he made. I'm going to be wearing it tonight. Thanks very much for that. Well, I don't think you need a lot of advice from me on bravery. You seem pretty strong. To see you, it took me a long time to figure out how to tell even my best friend that I was gay, let alone to... go out there and tell the world, and to see you willing to come to terms with who you are in a room full of a thousand people, thousands of people you've never met, that's, that's really something. So let me, tell you, let me tell you a couple things that might be useful. The, the first thing is that it won't always be easy. But that's okay, because you know who you are. And that's really important, because when you know who you are, uh, you have a center of gravity that can hold you together when all kinds of chaos is happening around you. That's the first thing I want you to know. The second thing I want you to know is that you will never know who's taking their lead from you, who's watching you. And... Deciding that they can be a little braver because you have been brave. When, when I was trying to figure out who I was, I was afraid that who I was might mean that I could never make a difference. And what wound up happening instead is that It's a huge part of the difference I get to make. I never could have seen that coming. And you'll never know whose life you might be affecting right now, just by standing here, right now. There's a lot of power in that. And the last thing I want you to know is, even if I can't promise it will always be easy, I can promise you that I'm going to be rooting for you. And I think there's a whole bunch of people here who are going to be rooting you every step of the day. I think you already got it together, so I'm excited to see what you're going to do as a leader. Just promise me you uh, won't run for president until after I'm done, because I think you might be a strong competition. Sound good? Okay. Great meeting. So proud. It's incredible. Thank you to have that too. I'll explain it later. But hold on to that. That oh way we're even.
4: As I sit here in our half-painted living room that you promised to finish, listening to the um, Spin Doctors album that we bought for a dollar at a yard sale because the lady who sold it to us had no idea who they were. I can't believe how happy I am. Or how lucky I am. <sighs> I never thought I would find somebody somebody who laughs at all my stupid duck jokes. Or likes my grandma's baked spaghetti. Or picks up all of our bath towels all the time. So, of course I said yes when you asked me to marry you. Nobody's ever loved me like you. And I've never wanted to be with anybody.
5: see that Chris the Chris you wrote those vows for
14: that is the only Chris there is and if you ever forget that all you need to do is go back to those
5: vows just like every other couple
7: Pedophilia stuff is getting very, very touchy. I I don't think they understand when they do this to virtue signal and they bring a little kid up to ask these questions. Most Americans are cringing. They may not say anything. They're like, that kid's too young to even be fucking thinking about what he's talking about. Most parents don't do that. You Greta Thunberg, uh, fabulous kid, all that gay shit. Yeah. You might think that's cool. The majority of Americans go, nah, that, that's not good. That's not good at all. That's all sorts of bad. Ben Midler starts us off with some homophobia. She wrote a poem yesterday. Lindsey Graham, that southern ham, has got a secret, oh yes ma'am, the truth is coming out soon. Seeds in love with Trumpy Goon. She's still trying to say that Lindsey Grinnell are gay lovers yeah Yeah, that's homophobic the entire world said it never got taken down off Twitter still there federal judge always using biological pronouns not protected under first amendment Shawnee State University philosophy presser lawsuit over the pronouns and they're saying you can't make people do that it's the first of many that will start falling Woman's boyfriend loves wearing wedding dress. She blames herself for craving traditional masculinity. A woman riding The Guardian confessed that although her boyfriend loves wearing dresses, was delighted when he found a woman's wedding dress he could wear. His behavior challenged her heretofore progressive ideals and pushed her to perform a scrupulous inventory on my deepest ideas about masculinity and identity by shortfalls as women who want to help rewrite gender norms. Emily Hallon wrote, Ian thrust the white garment in the air like a NASCAR trophy. It's lace sleeves shade from the tapered bodice and fluffy tulle grays the dirty tiles of the thrift store. A smile stretched across the face and I'm not reading anymore. What do you expect? What do you expect when you spend all your time saying you must be an ally and shut your mouth and stop taking up women's spaces and black people's spaces and you make these little chai latte fucking almond milk drinking pajama boys and you say there is no gender once again I love Journey when I was a kid I did not love Journey nobody knew that because girls like Journey so I like Journey and a lot of these guys are just trying to get laid and then they take it too far, they go across they step across the borderline and become fucking weirdos Ezra Furman on being gender non-conforming, bisexual Jew in Donald Trump nihilistic world. That's a Pink News article. Not reading it. Just had to read that title. What the fuck, dude? How do you let somebody live in your head that rent-free? Queer rights pioneer Michael Cashman was raped so often he thought it was just something that happened to gay men. By other gay men. Let that sink in. We've got a couple articles like this today. Couple articles. They don't say it, but that's actually what's happening. Ex gay man claims to have been cured of same sex attraction. And terrifying newspaper article. Article in Belfast newspaper. The newsletter has suggested that widely discredited practice of conversion therapy can successfully change a person's sexual orientation. In the article, which was published yesterday, Mike Davison said he was thankful to the professionals who helped him to overcome a same sex desire. This article ends with, being gay isn't a choice. It can't be cured. Convergent therapy traumatizes and destroys lives. Its promotion in mainstream print is a joke. They lost their shit. Shirley Ann McLean. Here we have one of NI's biggest daily papers openly promoting reparative ex-gay therapy. Just posted for those who don't believe it's still a thing in 2020. Enyon T. Yan 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 Yan. Not going to share the grossly offensive newsletter piece. But what will this outrageous attack and LGBT lives are up for debate. Being gay isn't a choice. It can't be cured. This article is a disgrace. There are no professionals involved in conversion therapy. The newsletter is contempt to categorize this as a health story. Next tweet. There's an appalling determination to promote LGBT ideology at the expense of people's lives. The Thursday of Therapy has and will continue to drive young LGBT people to suicide. No, it won't. It's gender dysphoria. And I love that the determination to promote LGBT ideology at the expense of people's lives. You guys push it on everybody. Maybe that's why they're suicides, because people don't want to come out. They don't want to know they wear the wedding dress. Nah, Poland, not going to give the newsletter article any more publicity. This is horrible. Needs to be illegal in all 32 countries. In your face, poofery. Why is this place publishing this with no mention that reparative Conversion Therapy is denounced by all major counseling and psychological bodies in the UK? Hmm. Next article is from The Advocate. What the AIDS Memorial Quilt means in 2020. This month, all 48,000 panels of the AIDS Memorial Quilt arrived in San Francisco. Each panel of the quilt was unloaded by a volunteer into a new home. We couldn't help but overcome with emotion of the immense power of the quilt, the responsibility you now have to ensure the extraordinary piece of art, activism, and history, and hope, can be protected and shared for future generations. Over the course of three decades, each panel of the quilt has been sewn together from friends and lovers and family members to commemorate over 105,000 lives lost. To HIV and AIDS, more than 675,000 people in the U.S. have died from the disease since the pandemic began, devastating communities across the country. During the span of the time, the face of HIV and AIDS has changed. So there is hope. There have been more only there, there was once only a death sentence, but there are more than 1.1 million people currently living with HIV in the U.S. Nearly 50% of them are not knowing and in need of testing. In 2018, there was more than 38,000 people in the U.S. received an HIV diagnosis, with half of those being from regions of the South of racial and ethnic minorities and gay and bisexual men, which is the majority of them. The, just the fucking majority. The first such educational effort will take place. They're doing all this educational shit. The National AIDS welcomes, blah, blah, blah. Gay Sanders staffer busted running an Anon Twitter account, slurring buttleg and other candidates. Buttleggy tweeted is what happens when the therapist botches the conversion. I just wanted to get it in there. Cause you got Bette Midler doing a homophobic thing. You got convert, Sanders people being fucking horrible. Doesn't make the mainstream media. But if a Trump did it, it'd be like this. Join us as we honor these three brave girls who are leading the charge to save women's sports. Big article about how horrible it is. That Missouri legislators introduced a bill banning trans athletes from competing. It's just like the Olympics. They must be taking testosterone blockers for at least a year. That's the rule. They're just trying to make some kind of compromise between those who say, hey, this is bullshit. My daughter's getting her ass kicked by a dude flopping balls and dick doing the 50 yard dash going to be a hundred yard dash but this is all over the place they're losing their fucking shit over it pink news conservatives are politicizing horrible women who are going after gay men yeah David Rubin just got a message from Zuby Music that he's been suspended by Twitter for hateful conduct confirmed by manual review he has deleted the tweet and now is in Twitter purgatory What did he do? Pronoun, forcer does it. Laugh out loud, misogynist, down, pronouns, and force. Thank you for your report. After a review, we've locked the account. He said, dude. To a tranny. Dude. Yeah. So that dude who thinks he's a girl reported him and that guy got blocked he's African American by the way it was white California bill would require retail outlets to have gender neutral space for children no fucking shit AB 2826, officially descriptive text, existing law, the Unruh Civil Rights Act specifies that all persons with the jurisdiction of the state are free and equal to no matter their sex, race, color, religion, ancestry, blah, blah, fucking, blah, are entitled to full and equal accommodations, advantages, facilities, privileges, or services, in all business establishment. This bill will require retail department stores of 500 more employees to main undivided areas of its sale floor where it sells child care articles, clothing, children's clothing, toys, all child on items, all clothing for children, or all toys. Regardless of whether a particular item has traditionally been marketed for either girls or boys, it must be in a big pile of fuck. If they get caught doing it, they're going to get a notice for 30 days, then they're going to start getting charged $1,000 dollars. The bill further goes on to say that by dividing the toys into aisles of separate gender, the retailer make it more difficult for the consumer to compare the products and incorrectly imply that their use by one gender is inappropriate. Beginning on January 2023, that's when they want to put it in effect. So now all toys have to be in a big pile, all clothes have to be in a big pile. That is the stupidest fucking thing. I've ever fucking heard. We've gone from Target saying, well, we're not going to color code our areas. We'll be pink or blue. To, oh, you're going to get fined if you don't put a BMX bike right next to a pink bike and a dress next to boys' jeans. You fucking twats! But, you know, Coronavirus fuck that, we don't need to worry about that shit, we're not doing bills to do that, fucking morons, time for Everything's Racist,
2: everything is racist!
7: Bunch of wins for Trump. First we had the pronoun, then we have this one: Harvard race-based admission process violates federal civil rights laws, so they can't do it anymore. Yeah, media didn't talk about that. We got got another one coming up. WMU students demand school apologize for white people singing Negro spirituals. African American student of Western Michigan called out her school's mostly white choir for what she calls cultural appropriation. Shaylee Fott, a music major, attended a choir performance called Spirituals from the Ship to Shore. Uh, The performance was put together and produced by John Wesley Wright, an African-American professor of music at Salisbury University of Maryland. On February 20th, Fott posted a Snapchat video of her disapproval facial expressions during the event. Y'all... Don't know how mad I am. So apparently WMU thinks it's okay for white people to sing Negro spirituals while the instructor talking about the songs don't belong to one race. They sure as hell do, read the video. Fox tweet had over 2 million views and has retweeted 32,000 times. Others, user comment on the tweet expressing the same disgust. One user, Amrashid, commented, They want us to hate them. Another user wrote, White people are cultural vultures. Fada also posted on video on her Instagram page as a black female sitting there having white people stand in the aisle singing about slavery and segregation it made me uncomfortable. And she spelled it wrong. This isn't entertainment; it's our history, and the cultural appropriation was not there. And to make it worse, the instructor was black, and he had audacity to say spirituals belong to everybody. They don't belong to one race. She continues saying. She read a letter to the dean as well as other university officials. Fott posted pictures of the letters she sent. They're very disappointed, especially without them really understanding what it all means. Furthermore, she served that Negro spirituals, spirituals need to be reserved for people of African descent. Fott asked that most music instructor John Wesley Wright himself, as an African American, not be invited back to campus at the Western Michigan University School of Music, make a public Apology. apology. Western just needs to do a better job of practicing cultural appropriation there needs to be more mindfulness about controversial topics such as culture in the future. Ah! Students stage sitting cry racism after Professor Reed's historical document containing the N-word. And he probably said, this will be triggering. <laughs> but they still gotcha at him. She did even eat crickets. While we're doing that, we always talk about how the left wants to be Europe. Well, here's some Europe that's just like our left in America. One in five Europeans say secret Jewish cabal runs the world. Down in Carnival, they had Nazi fucking floats with gas chambers. So, yeah, that's, that's fucking that's that's where the left's going that's okay from da root preparing for outbreaks like coronavirus is always difficult for marginalized communities it's crucial not going to read the article but the whole article was they're going to let you die okay i'm a triple minority black female and fat that's a blogger saying she's worthy of her seat because she feels uncomfortable going to runway shows being fat so she has to write it's my fault and people don't know why I'm there but I'm a woman, I'm fat and I'm black and I I gotta be here this is from BuzzFeed I'm not gonna read it because we're long on time I'm just gonna paraphrase this was a Twitter moment yesterday how racism, meth, and sex are combining to destroy queer black lives. Black and Latino queer men in L.A. and across Southern California detail their experiences with meth and the explosion of abuse, violence, and sexual exploitation is unleashed. White gay men are destroying queer black lives with party and play sex and meth addiction. Inside this article, they blame white gay men for the people using meth they blame white gay men for wanting to have sex and be gang banged by black men and it's all white superiority cultural appropriation the gay black guy who's dying from meth overdose or AIDS it's not his fault because he had sex with a white man If this article was written with the inverse, we would have riots in the street. That's all I have to say. And it was a Twitter moment. We're going to blame white gay men. Once again, gay men wanting to have unprotected sex and use meth. Whether white or black. That was not the problem. No. No not the problem they played it off like these guys are just victims of white men literally getting them hooked on drugs so they could fuck them literally that's what they said trying to play like these black males are some poor little fucking temp for harvey weinstein it was really poorly written new york times President Trump re-election campaign opening storefronts in predominantly black neighborhoods across swing states like Florida and Pennsylvania. Numerous articles on oh my god, he's a piece of shit because he's doing an outreach towards black people. Video all over Twitter yesterday being pissed off by black pundits and race hustlers of a black guy saying When I voted for Obama, I wanted a gangster in the White House. He was not a gangster. Trump is. I think it's the funniest thing in the world, because you guys have tried all... Since 2016, you've tried to say he's a racist, but he's going to get more black votes than any Republican ever did, because he may be a racist motherfucking piece of shit. But black unemployment's improved and so has the economy he's actually doing things for the black community and you can't put your finger on anything a democrat's done and as we sit here and have gone through the democratic debate they're more concerned with illegals and gay shit to some abortion stuff here is cause I already played all this shout your abortion shit <clears throat> Did I already play them all? I think I did, didn't I? I already played all the shots, the abortion. I ain't even gotten to the abortion yet. That's pretty fucking bad. I'm half asleep. I, I got to fuck that shit up, didn't I? Uh, let me see. Do I have any more abortion? No, I, I played it all. So uh, we're going to go straight in. Here's the Connors talking about abortion. And uh, yeah, I fucked up. Because I had more. What were we at on time? Hold on a second. This one's pretty long. I'm going to put it in. What the hell? You're going to have a long podcast today. Here's another uh, Shout Your Abortion and the Connors talking about abortion.
17: So,
4: I had an abortion. Um, Best decision I ever made, actually. One of the best decisions. I don't know if college college is right up there, really close, but um, not not having a child that I wasn't prepared to raise was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life and not co-parenting with an abusive person is one of the best decisions since you know that in more than 30 states in the United States your rapist or abuser has the right to the same parenting rights that anyone else would have um, even if in court, they're proven to have raped you. Um, my abuser knew that I was pregnant, um, and he was using that against me. He was telling me that um, I couldn't fight him because I was in this vulnerable state, and that I, if if he told someone that I had um, looked into contraceptive or um, abortion, Options that that he was going to tell someone that, and then I wouldn't be able to see my child if I carried deterrent. And all of these things, I never thought of myself as becoming a parent. Like, I've never, ever, ever thought that I will... I I still... I'm never going to be a parent. I do not want to be a parent. I have puppies, and that is it. (laughs) But when this happened, I... I thought there's, there's no way that, that I'm going to carry to term against my better judgment and then have this abusive, controlling, psychotic person in my life and somehow still controlling my day-to-day because of that, because of that one time that we had sex and, and conceived. And that could be, that could be anybody, anytime. Birth control and contraceptives can fail, can fail time. And I just, I was in this horrible situation where it happened with this person. And I Googled. I got on Google and I, um from work where he couldn't see what I was doing and I I looked for abortion options because I just knew I couldn't see myself with this person for the next 18 years even even if it was just meeting up to to swap custody when it was someone else's turn there was no way that I wanted to be connected to him in any shape or form because he was violent and he was controlling and he was Abusive. And when I, when I Googled, I found this place called First Choice, which sounded like they might have options. Choice sounds like choices, right? So cool. um, I went there. I made an appointment and I went over there and um, they, they tried to tell me that I was, first they told me that I was going to hell. And then they told me that I should marry my abuser. Because this was not an actual clinic. And it didn't matter that the people inside were wearing scrubs, they were not medical professionals. They were religious people who wanted to push their beliefs on me in whatever way they felt would change my mind. That they were, they were so adamantly against abortion and against options that they would prefer to talk me into marrying someone who any licensed counselor would have heard from my testimony is abusive and dangerous and not healthy for me to be with. They wanted me to marry that person because that apparently is what they thought would prepare me for parenthood. Um, that was very, very traumatic for me and I, I ended up... Uh, when I left, I thought, that's it. That was the place. That was the only place in town. And I went there and they don't actually offer abortion services. And I'm just, I'm so fucked. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a kid with this guy. And, um, basically he's gonna, he's, gonna, he's gonna rule my day to day for the rest of my life. And I, called my grandmother and I said I don't I don't know what to do um, I was very desperate I was at the point that I thought if if there's some weird thing that I can find on Google that'll help me um, some weird home remedy there's got to be something right and my grandma um, she said I'm I'm gonna be supportive no matter what you do. We're gonna figure this out. It's gonna be okay. And I, I found out there's actually an abortion clinic within a few miles of my house, which is incredibly lucky because I live in Alabama and there are, I think, three or five clinics in the entire state. So for one to be that close to me, it was just, it was just the, 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 the biggest privilege that I had in this whole situation. I was able to tell my abuser that I was going to work like a regular day and go instead to the clinic. Um, I had to go two days prior and get my uh, state-mandated pre-abortion counseling. It's not actually counseling. I I have to put it in air quotes because that is not... I've been to counseling. That's not counseling. That's a person reading a script that they clearly disagree with because they're a medical professional and nothing that they're reading is medically accurate at all. But I had to go and I had to hear this information and um, wait 48 hours. And then, um, so I did that on my lunch break and I was able to go, act like I was going to work and then just go to this clinic and, and not be pregnant when I left. And that was just the, the best thing ever just to know that um at the end of this day I'm not gonna be pregnant anymore. I'm gonna be able to break up with this guy. And and that was part of my escape plan was I had to not I had to not have a child with him. And I have since been through several support groups where I've met women who have had children with abusive men and um, they go through so much struggle. I am so glad that I never had to do that, that I am completely free from that person, that there's nothing tying to him. And I I had my abortion and I I left the clinic and I went home and told him that I had bled in the bathroom and that I thought maybe I'd miscarried at work and he wanted to take me to the emergency room and so I went and I had to have a transvaginal ultrasound. And. I was told when I left the abortion clinic that there's nothing supposed to go inside your vagina after that. And, um, and I did that because I had to, for my own safety with this person that I was very afraid of, I had to, I had to keep up that story. Um, in fact, a, a protester at the clinic tried to take my picture when I walked in. And if he had gotten my picture, and if he had been able to post it on social media, that could have put my life in danger. Um, I've since had a conversation with that protester, because I now volunteer at that clinic, and I told him that taking pictures of people could actually put their lives in danger. When you're dealing with a domestic violence situation, like I was, and you're trying to just access medical care in private. That kind of thing is extremely personal, and it's between that woman and her provider. That's it. It's, no one's going to anyone else's doctor's office and taking pictures when they're walking in. I'm posting them all over social media. But when I told him that, um, he said, I know. I, un- I understand domestic violence. My mother was a victim at the hands of my dad, and I watched that growing up, and I'm so sorry, and I won't take pictures again. And a few weeks later, he was taking pictures again. And um, <laughs> this is at Reproductive Health Services in Montgomery, Alabama, and if you've seen the movie Trapped, um, his cameras are his cameras aren't really catching a whole lot because we walk around with these huge umbrellas and cover all the patients as they walk into the clinic. And then there are these um, sprinklers on the lawn. That is the best watered lawn in the entire city of Montgomery. And uh, you can't really bring a camera up close to them. So I really appreciate that. But one of those escorts covered me with an umbrella as I walked in, and that that kept me safe in a very real way. And um, I was able to, after I had my abortion, I was able to go back to school. I was able to escape from that relationship and go back to school and get my master's. And now I, I actually wrote my thesis on the Hyde Amendment. And all of these trap laws and all of these things that I had no idea were an issue at all until I tried to access abortion myself. And it's just, it's just so, it's just so huge to me. It's this thing that I, I had no idea that there were so many people trying to take my rights away. I served in the military for 10 years. Thinking I was defending my freedom and my rights, and I never defended my own freedom or my rights until I put on that orange vest in front of that clinic and defended the right to access reproductive freedom. That, to me, is real freedom. As a woman, if you cannot control your own reproductive rights, that—that that is what freedom is. That is protecting freedom. And I—I um, just—I just. I just Every day, I thank June Ayers for answering the phone in that way, for saying she calls everyone baby. And when she answered the phone, when I'm in this horrible abusive relationship, and all my friends have abandoned me, and I call the abortion clinic, and she says, "No, it's going to be okay, baby. It's going to be okay." That was that was that glimmer of hope that I fucking needed. And and I I just I hug her every time I see her, and I I love her to death. I just. I will, I will not stop until everyone has the right to access abortion, safe abortion, legal abortion, and access it. Making it legal isn't enough. It needs to be accessible. The Hyde Amendment keeps so many women from accessing abortion. It is ridiculous. There's no other medical procedure that is, that is legislated in the way that abortion is. There's no other medical procedure that people say, oh, Medicaid shouldn't cover that and our tax dollars shouldn't fund that. Your tax dollars fund women to have children that they then cannot afford to care for. Labor and delivery costs more than five times the price of funding abortion. And we need to be funding abortion and birth control and sex education because I didn't get sex education. I had a woman come into my seventh grade classroom and say, if you have sex, you'll get pregnant. That was it. I never knew what a condom was. And I just, this has become my calling. It's public health and it's its teaching people how to take care of their own health. We can tell each other to eat fruits and vegetables, But children need to know about consent, and young adults need to know about condoms, and people have sex, people have sex, that's a thing, and abortion is a medical procedure. When someone's pregnant, that pregnancy has to end in some way, and abortion is one of the ways that it can end, in fact, it's a safer way that it can end than than childbirth, and that needs to be funded that needs to be protected that needs to be a right that is that is undeniable that's accessible and that people can afford and that's why I'm I'm in this fight and I'm in it for the long haul
23: what do you have for being underweight and depressed wow i guess somebody got a glimpse of themselves in the window on the way over <laughs> I was at Planned Parenthood, which is a good place to go if you're poor and actually planning for parenthood.
7: So, in my quest to find all this stuff, because it popped up, I found the person who actually started the Shout Your Abortion. I set up Shout Your Abortion because I'm not sorry and I will not whisper. Last week, I realized that even among the, my pro choice friends, I never ever talk about my abortion. I need to chip away at the stigma. This is from 2017. Almost exactly five years ago, in 2010, I took one pill and then another, and I laid in bed for a night and a day, and when I was pregnant, I wasn't pregnant it anymore. It's a fairly smooth experience, distressing only because my relationship was bad and I had no money. procedure itself was a relief, not being able to have it would have been a real trauma suddenly last week in the thick of a right-wing misogynistic crusade to defund Planned Parenthood which by the way that nice little thing from the Connors that's why I played it Uh, yeah you don't get prenatal care at Planned Parenthood you get it STI checks and pregnancy checks and then they try to sell you on a new model it's called abortion a thought bowled me over. I never, ever talk about my abortion. I live in a progressive city. I have a fiercely pro-choice circle and family. I write confessionally about myself for a living. So why is it that I never spoke about abortions and anything beyond the abstract? I know about who has a vagina infection, whose boyfriend penis bends weird, who used to do drugs, and who still does. And I know how all of them feel about abortion policy-wise. But I don't know who has had one, and they don't talk about mine. It's not a secret. It's just because we don't talk about it. Not talking about our personal experience. With abortion wasn't conscious. It felt like a habit, a flimsy orobus of obfuscation. We don't talk about it because we don't talk about it because we don't talk about it. So on Saturday, when my friend Amelia Bono posted his plain, un, plain spoken, unapologetic announcement on our Facebook, it felt simultaneously so obvious, so simple, and so revolutionary. Like a year ago, at an abortion at Planned Parenthood on Madison Avenue, I remember this experience of blah, 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 blah. Plenty of people still believe that on some level, if you're a good woman, abortion is a choice which should be accompanied by a level of sadness, shame, or regret. But you know what? I have a good heart. Having an abortion made me happy in a totally unqualified way. Why wouldn't I be happy that I was not forced to become a mother? Forced! Somebody had a gun to her head to have sex unprotected. That's assumption that abortion is still something to be whispered about. Struck me hard the fact that even progressive outspoken pro-choice feminists feel the pressure to keep our abortions under wraps, to speak about them only in corners and murmurs and private with our closest confidants means that opponents of abortion get to define it however suits them best. They can cast those of us who have let, had abortions as callous knights, With seed fear anyone who might need one by insisting that the procedure is always traumatic, always painful, always an implausible decision. Well, we're not, and it's not. The truth is that life is unfamily, complex, people with uteruses own their bodies unconditionally, and every abortion story is unique in a person who lives it. Some are traumatic, some are regrettable, but plenty are like mine with a permission. I screen-grabbed Amelia's post and put it on Twitter. Let a motif. If I ever was pregnant, I will have an abortion. I lay claim to my life. This life will not include giving birth. Well, then don't have sex unprotected. Ann Carlin I had to make the choice at 45 after a number of miscarriages. Doesn't apply. Mismanagement. My abortion gave me my life back. Mean, mean Norma Jean. Without my abortion, I'd be forever tied to a man who would go on to rape me five years into our relationship. Doesn't apply. Timely reference. No traumatic backstory. Didn't want kids. Couldn't afford kids. Contraception failed. With casual boy boyfriend, no one regrets it. All those abortions are valid. None are shameful. There's no good abortion or bad abortion because an abortion is just a medical procedure. Reproductive health care is health care and it is a fact without caveat that FOTUS is not a person. A fetus. She, see, she wants to say it's nothing wrong with a, a, a fucking abortion. But we speak in words that doesn't say fetus. We don't call fetuses fetuses. We call them clumps of cells. We don't call an abortion pill an abortion. We call it emergency contraception. So you guys are all full of fucking shit. If it's all on the up and up, I took an abortion pill and killed the baby. But you don't say that. So you're full of shit. Your premise here is horseshit. Telling our stories, is a full volume, chips away at stigma, and lies, women, girls, and anyone anywhere on gender spectrum who could become pregnant, especially those living in poverty in rural areas and hyper-religious and conservative households. It's vital to remember, too, that being able to tell my abortion story without feeling unsupported and unsafe beyond the general unease of knowing my country is full of heavily armed, anti-intellectual GOP wingnuts is a privilege. I speak out because I can. Did you hear it? Yeah. Mm-hmm sounds like she hates a lot of people that she perceives judge her now that's where we're going here there's a reason why shout your abortion has been getting mountains of positive mainstream press attention while the people terrorizing up my feet is clogged with pictures of bloody fetuses she doesn't spell it right and death threats are ignored on the fringe is because we are right and however glacially socially evolves it is evolving in the right direction Abortion is common, abortion is happening, abortion needs to be legal, safe, and accessible to everyone. Abortion is a thing you can say out loud. I am not sorry. A woman's right to choose is under serious threat for the first time in generations. On the heels of an unprecedented wave of anti abortion laws passed this year, Supreme Court will consider a, a case this year that could dramatically curtail reproductive freedom. Meanwhile, the current administration continues to fill federal courts with judges that want to undermine Roe v. Wade. The Guardian views reproductive freedom as fundamental to women's health and human rights. Committed to reporting rigorously on behalf of the women in America. Blah, blah, blah. Shut your fucking mouth. What it comes down to the Senate decided to try to do the born, a born, alive abortion survivor. CNN actually described the Born Alive Abortion Survivor Protection Act as requiring abortion providers to work to preserve a life and health of a fetus that was born following an attempted abortion as a newborn baby or face up to five years in prison. In CNN's world, a fetus that was born is not the same as a newborn baby, apparently simply due to the fact that the one one was wanted and the other one was nearly killed. Beyond the disturbing euphemism that tried to dehumanize a baby and survivors' as abortion, CNN also referred to the Born Alive Act as a anti-abortion bill. Even though the bill doesn't place any restrictions on women's ability to get abortion, it only states that newborn babies should get health care. The media has been deliberately misinterpreting the bill for fucking ever. They won't do it because they can't. CNN's covering Senate vote on two bills pertaining to abortion today. The Pain Capable Unborn Child Protected Act, where the CNN Carolyn Kenny reports would ban abortion at 20 weeks based on the scientifically disputed notion that a fetus can feel pain at that point in development. And the Born Alive Abortion Survivor Protection Act, which would mandate care for a baby born alive during a botched abortion. CNN Politics. Senate to vote on two abortion restriction bills it's actually not true one is a restriction one is just saying you can't let a baby that comes out of the womb after a DNC and is alive just sit there and die in a garbage can a woman of color Andrea DeSantis, here's the CNN coverage of today's votes, referring to the Born Alive Bill as an abortion restriction bill, even though it places no limits on when or whether a woman can obtain abortions, but merely require care for infants, it gets better though, somehow. Here's where CNN reports, reporter notes that the Born Alive Bill requires care for a fetus that was born, which is, that's right, a baby, a fetus that was born, oh my god, CNN, why did you say that? Yeah. They fucking said it, but they don't They don't say it's a baby. They don't even spell fetus. They do it like that fucking moonbat who came up with, my abortion's my right, I kill babies, and I'm so fucking awesome, and does F-E-O-T-U-S. So, here's that fucking piece of shit, fucking Gillibrand, and the only network that actually covered it straight up, Fox, because once again, the Democratic Party blocked the born alive now I knew they wouldn't get the restrictions that's going to still be a state issue but Democrats still say if a baby comes out after an abortion just throw that motherfucker in the the goddamn garbage can until it dies we don't need any laws because it's not a real baby because it's a woman's right to choose if we call it a baby breathing and alive you fucking goals.
28: And very, very briefly, I know you've got two anti-abortion votes coming up in the Senate today. Uh, will they go down? Will they be defeated?
23: Yes, they will be defeated. But again, this is part of President Trump and Mitch McConnell's all-out assault on women they're trying to harm women. They're trying to take away their civil rights, their human rights, their ability to make the most important intimate decisions of their lives. They're taking away their religious freedom. They're taking away their moral freedom. Uh, When these two measures that we're voting on literally changes the landscape of how we treat a, 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 a baby who was born who cannot survive outside the womb and how those parents want to be able to have those final moments with their child. It is a horrible horrible choice by Mitch McConnell to force these votes and we voted on these measures before and they've lost Um, I think this is just a political ploy to satisfy those who are attending the CPAC conference
28: Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, thank you very much and
23: coming up Havana, oh, nah, nah, Bernie. Federal appeals court has upheld Trump administration changes that ban taxpayer-funded clinics in the Title X program from providing or referring for abortions. The ruling by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned decisions issued by judges in Washington, Oregon, and California. The court had already allowed the administration's changes to begin taking effect while the government appealed those rulings.
7: Unsurprisingly, I fucked that up, because I'm half asleep. That was the Title Ten stuff, which is fucking awesome. It's another win. That's the other win Trump got this We're not Trump, but conservatives got this week. Surprisingly, though, the media didn't lose their shit over it. You didn't really hear about it, but that's three wins. But the fact of the matter is, once again, Democrats have stood for... Babies born being born alive and letting them die. It's codifying roe. As Cuomo, a supposed Catholic, says. And I say to all of them, you're garbage human beings. Garbage. I've said it a million times on the show. I don't think abortion should be banned. They're gonna do it anyway. They don't do immigration laws they're gonna have fucking abortion clinics all over the goddamn place, it doesn't matter but if you're killing a baby after two, 22 weeks it's a fucking baby it's not a FOTUS and if you're letting babies come out of the womb and you botch that abortion it is no longer optional to not care for it it's not about the mother it has nothing to do with the mother anymore It's a botched medical procedure, because that's what you call it, a medical procedure. And now the healthcare worker should fucking have to care for the baby. The reason why they don't want to do that is because they're passing laws that you and I, with no medical treatment, could start doing abortions. Anybody, the janitor, can mop one minute and then go perform an abortion, and they don't want the rules, which are... You have to have a hallway, then get a gurney out. You have to have a fucking person that can go get admittance in a hospital in case we botch this abortion for the baby and the mom. So the the organization that's supposed to be for women, that doesn't pro- provide prenatal care, will put you in the stirrups under sedative and go, yeah, we fucked up, your baby's 24 weeks long, so we need another 100 bones so we can kill it and suck it through the goddamn razor blades. Can we just get in your purse? It's a real thing. We played it on the show. And oh, by the way, if we accidentally get your cervix in there or other parts of your VJJ and fuck you up, well, you're on your own, dick, because we don't want the bad press. Watch Unplanned. Happens. They fuck it up because they don't want to use the sonogram. The only time they use a sonogram is to see how much they're going to charge you. Oh, that, that FOTUS in there, it's a Mercedes-Benz now. We need 600 pounds because it's long. It's got arms and legs and it's moving. But we're going to kill it anyway because it isn't a real baby because you said it ain't. You fucking pieces of shit. It's a liberal shit because I didn't have enough for climate, but I got a couple sound bites. Enjoy. Come on down! You're the next contestant on Liberal Liberalship!
9: The way the current administration is handling climate change policy in many cases is contradicted by the actual science. We've all heard the number. of climate scientists agree that climate change is happening and humans are the primary cause.
6: Having worked with scientists and supervised scientists, to get a group of scientists to agree, (laughs) that is almost an impossible thing to do.
9: The federal government isn't even willing to admit there's a problem it it makes no sense to me what makes no sense and what bothers me about it
6: is that mm-hmm. there are a lot of valid scientific questions that we need to put research and work on a climate no doubt but when we can't even get past that initial stage mm-hmm. i would call it criminal
30: but they also donate to other organizations some of which are climate deniers most prominently william happer
9: right yep. um, and his group called the co2 coalition remember william happer He was the Trump administration's chief climate denier. Have you ever heard of the Bradley Foundation? Yeah, actually. What about it? I mean, I do know about the Bradley Mm -hmm. Senate. I wondered if Milwaukeeans knew that one of their hometown foundations also funds the work of climate change deniers.
0: Really? Yes. I did not know that.
9: Yes. Oh,
10: wow. I didn't know that.
4: Yeah, that's really surprising.
9: Yeah. Hmm. It's a mind boggler right. to me, especially in a state with so much to lose for it.
31: That's nuts. It is.
9: We have to change their mind. That's really scary. Yeah. But you want to know something? She's made my day a little easier. Good. Yeah. So thank you very yeah. much. The millions of dollars being pumped into climate change denial seem to be working. Back in Apalachicola, Florida citizens and state officials alike have been extremely skeptical
26: the republican party in florida which governs florida decided that there is no such thing as climate change
9: florida officials were reportedly instructed to stop using the term climate change in official communications during the administration of governor rick scott from 2011 to 2019. scott now a united states senator has said he is not convinced climate change is caused by human activity. I firmly believe we're in a climate crisis, and the first victim is not the apple crop or sweet corn or the beef burgers we love. It's our local farmers, the people who feed us and help keep food available. The data is clear and the consensus of the scientific community is clear that it's not a natural cycle. Everywhere you turn, the world is enduring a climate crisis that is changing the nature of our food supply and changing the lives of the people who feed us.
7: Yeah, some are bad deniers. Fucking hand over... We need to all hand over our guns. Eat the fucking babies. Do it now! How dare you? Libs mad at German conservative answers to Greta Thunberg. Nineteen-year-old German woman is being hailed as a conservative response to climate change activist Greta Thunberg. She's condemned climate alarmism. And despicably anti-human ideology. The liberal journals are heated about it. Naomi Seeped Seibt, don't know how to say her name, encourages rationality in the face of climate alarmism, and is seen as a conservative answer to Greta. She is currently being supported by libertarian think tank the Heartland Institute, as reportedly hired as the figurehead of its campaign to question the scientific consensus about climate change. If imitation is the highest form of flattery, Heartland's tactics amount to his acknowledgement that Greta has touched a nerve, said Washington Post. Uh, the outline went to describe Self as an anti-Greta. Liberal commentators were shocked ranging from slurring the German teenager as a Nazi. Of course, all conservatives are Nazis. Jesus Christ. You guys got to come up with something newer. You need to go like pagan or something. I don't know. Well, you guys like pagans. To theorize the apocalyptical conspiracy that she's paid to speak nonsense to convince people to continue business as usual and poison us all. Aside from seats, arguments against climate alarmism, journalists have specifically come after her for associating in any capacity with the Alternative for Germany party. The AFD was described in an article as the biggest opposition party in parliament. Post quoted one former AFD leader, Alexander Gollin, who has he vowed they are fighting an invasion of foreigners. Senior resident scholar at the Arab Gulf State Institute Washington, Hazim Ibish, tweeted in response, post piece: Oh, she's a Nazi. The German media has described her as sympathetic to the national alternative or alternative for Germany. There we go, Sieg Heil. He later added that everything comes down to race and all of this. He then quoted the Post observation that Naomi said her political activism was sparked a few years ago when she began asking questions at school about German liberal immigration policies, to which she responded, of course it was. Max Boot, a never-Trumper for the Washington Post, made a similar combination. This young climate denier is promoted by American conservatives, described by German media as sympathetic to the alternative, blah, 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 blah. Patrick Gailey of AFF, AF, AFP News uh, talking head for the arch denialist Heartland Institute. He also claimed that the Heartland Institute uses money from groups such as Exxon and the Koch brothers. There you go, buddy. Get the Koch brothers in there, even though one of them's dead. How about the Coke guy? Because they're not brothers. Gailey seat as opposition to Thumber, described her as a young woman paid to speak nonsense. Manny Stone, who says she's written for Gizmodo, Vice, Atlantic, just libtard. This is something deeply creepy about the Heartland Institute, a group of mostly geriatric men who published climate denial propaganda being so obsessed with Greta Thunberg, they went out of their way to conscript a lookalike as their new mouthpiece. Who the fuck is addicted to Greta? You are in the media, douche nozzle. So next podcast, going to look up some shit from this seat and the Heartland Institute. We'll do some anti-climate uh, change. Trojan condoms, yes, this is real, responds to a potential cancellation of the Summer Olympics because of coronavirus. IOC member Dick Pound says Tokyo Olympics organizers have her until late May to see if the virus is under control. If not, we're going to cancel the Olympics. Trojan, we're not sure what he uses, but we use Magnum on our longest serving member. So is Dick Pound actually speaking for the people who actually run the Olympics? An In interview with the canceling Tokyo? Or was this just his educated opinion? And they started questioning that he was right or wrong. Because they make big money during the Olympics, cause all these athletes I guess fuck like goddamn rabbits. You know, I was sitting there thinking about it while I was simultaneously ranting about Trojan. Here's the actual soundbite of this uh, sight girl, or Sibit, whatever. Here's a. She got to interview Dana Perino, so here's a teaser for next podcast. We're gonna start the show off with this young lady. I was super long on the script today, so I didn't look anything else up other than her name, and um, I had this soundbite, so we're gonna play it.
33: Pretty much everyone knows who Greta Thunberg is by now, but you might also be reading about a fellow teenager making a name for herself in the political world, one who's set to take the stage at CPAC. Let's bring in Naomi Zeit. She's a 19-year-old from Germany whose willingness to ask questions has earned her a spot at CPAC tomorrow. It's good to have you here, Naomi. So you have been hired by the Center for Climate and Environmental Policy, um, and you have just a different view about climate. What is it about the current narrative that kind of drives crazy well it's mostly that there is so
34: much fear-mongering going on uh, about this entire climate change propaganda that is being put out there and uh, I hate to see so many young people especially uh, panicking about climate change about a topic that they haven't even done their research about um, because many young people they claim to know, know a lot about the science but they really don't and I tried approaching those young people in my own town and from all over the world and most of them don't really know what they are talking about and they are just so
33: fearful of what's to come and I want to give them back their hope. How did you learn about climate change, climate science and what you think could be done to try to tackle the problem? Well, I myself uh, used to be a climate alarmist, if you will and
34: um, I only started really looking into the topic uh, in the beginning of 2019 so last year and um, after a while I just became really fascinated with the topic because uh, I've always loved science myself and I took part in many science competitions at school and quite successfully so and um, so this was uh, this really was a passion of mine uh, to look deeper into this topic and I watched many uh, presentations, speeches by scientists, professors from all over the world, and um, this is how I really got into all of this. And I also like public speaking and um, talking about uh, different political issues uh, on my YouTube channel, for example. Yeah, that's how it all started.
33: So how? Like, so what is your goal? You're going to be at CPAC. You're going to have a chance to talk there. Um, what about this panic? Do you in, in back in your hometown? Do you find that your message is received well, or do you not have a lot of friends out there? Oh, that's very difficult indeed,
34: especially in my own hometown, uh, because the Green Party is very strong there, and um, many young people go to Fridays for Future protests every single week, and I gave a speech there two weeks ago, um, and there were thousands of people um, around my age protesting outside against this event, and... um, that is, that is a very strange feeling, uh, especially when you're labeled a climate denier, which is such a heavy term. Because you, uh, you are not yeah.
33: a denier. You think climate change is real.
34: Um I absolutely believe that climate change is real. Um you don't you shouldn't ask the question is climate change real because climate change has always been real. The climate has been changing for millions and billions of years. Mm-hmm. But what you should actually be asking is um are are, are humans actually mm-hmm. destroying the planet uh, with man-made CO2 emissions and um and your position not, on that is yeah. what? My position on that is no. CO2 emissions are not actually harmful to the planet Um, because, um, if you want, I can I can talk about no. That's okay. We don't have enough time to get into all of it. I
33: just wanted to make sure. So it's not that you think that climate change is real, but you but you believe that humans have no contribution to climate change
34: they might contribute slightly uh, but i think it's so insignificant that i we shouldn't focus on that and especially uh, we should not rush uh, to um to solutions that are really not sustainable in the right. long term yeah i hear you
33: that's the well, main good issue good luck at your speech naomi Zaid. thank you so much for being on thank you so much for having me okay all
7: right our next story sex robots replicate human expressions leaving people convinced they're alive I know I keep dipping back into this, but literally this keeps coming up on Drudge. I'm not going to play the soundbite, because it's motherfucking creepy. They've changed the faces, and when these things talk, it looks real. And it just creeping me the fuck out. That's just so gross. I don't... I'm sorry. I hate to be judgy. I, I'm not trying to be a prude. But I don't know how you fuck a robot. I just... I don't understand it. Maybe when I was 15 or 16... Because you'd fuck a knot in the fence. I mean, seriously, you'd fuck, a, you'd fuck anything. But, yeah, robot, not doing it. No, that's crude, but I'm just being honest. As a young male, you do some stupid shit in your teens, but I don't understand adults spending $10,000 on a piece of plastic. Just some fun stuff. Why America is losing the toilet race. And this is a real article. I just got back from my first trip to Japan, and i now in love with the country. The ramen, yakitori, and sushi. Yaki Sobo is what you should have said, dickhead. The gorgeous vo- voc- uh, volcanoes, the fascinating people and culture, but all of these things I fell in love with, there's one that I can't stop thinking about, the toilets. Japanese toilets toilets are marvels of technology innovation. They have integrated bedettes with skirt water to clean your private parts. They have dryers and heated seats. They use water efficiently to clean themselves, deodorize so bathrooms actually smell good. They have white noise machines so you can fill your stall with the sound of rain for privacy if you're taking a big deuce that's got a lot of gas in it. He didn't say that, but I did. Um, Some even have built-in lights and music players. It is the coolest thing ever. Yeah, we don't have that. None of us have that. All right, I then had a long review that I'm not going to read because we're so long today. On the show, You, we decided to do You, and we went and watched it All the reviews that I could find from Refinery29, Hollywood Reporter, it all went politics. Now understand, this show is about a stalker dude, he's fucked up, he kills people, he's a fucking, fucking piece of shit. But all the reviews went misogyny. And why do we have stories where the narrator's a male? Well, because he's the goddamn Dexter in this shit, you dipshit. It wasn't a bad show. You gotta fight through all the teenage girl bullshit that just gives me a headache. Thus why we have our podcast early because I fucking went to town on a podcast. Um, It's a little tough to deal with that shit, but it's actually a pretty good psychological thriller. Now, we only watched season one. Um, We got season two in the can, but I wanted to read some of the... Review just to say, God damn man, you liberals can't give it a goddamn break. I mean they had gay people, integrate uh major African American character, they did everything right. But the books about a guy who stalks women, possesses women, he's a sick fuck, he kills people to be with that woman. They were true to the book, and you still bitched about it. Things that came up that freaked the shit out of me. New mini-moon orbiting Earth. For now, astronomers astronomers say an object measuring 6 feet to 11 feet across, it's been in our orbit for three years. It's now a new mini-moon. It got caught passing us. The gravitational pull, so it is rotating around the Earth just like the moon. It makes me really not want to watch Armageddon and the Deep Impact, folks, because if we're not seeing this shit, what the fuck, Chuck? Air Force takes first step of adding flying cars. They want vertical takeoff landing technology urban vehicles that are electric. Probably never happened, but it went out. Next, we have... Something that's really super sad, being that I've been talking about the narcos, this hit Drudge last night, killed by cartel, betrayed by his own. U.S. re-examines murder of federal agent featured in narcos. Federal authorities assess new witness claims that a DEA official and a CIA operative were tied to the DEA agent Enrique Camarero, or Kiki Camarero's 1985 murder in Mexico. That's pretty fucked up. We got killed by one of our own. So, we're now going to go into lighter fair. Today is Ranger Up, every action movie ever. And then we're going to have new background music because my better half gave us something. I put it in the lighter fair, but it's fucking scary. Every action movie
32: ever. All clear. Doesn't look like there's anything out here tonight. Ah! Bring, bring. Hello? Oh, hey, honey. Yeah, just working late on Operation Cobra Dragon Eagle. Ah, don't worry about it. OpSec is for pussies. Okay, talk to you soon. Love you. Uh, sir, there's a security breach. Mother of God! Sit down, Mr. President General. We are taking over and stuff. But why? Money, power, revenging things. You know, the huge. Okay, but what do you want from me? You're I! Ah, ah. We are in. Daddy! Come in from chopping wood in the field! It's time for dinner! Be right there, sweetie! Look at me doing these everyday person things. You're so normal, Dad! <laughs> and quite the family man, dear. You'd never know what my background was. <laughs> Parenting is the greatest gift. <laughs> my God, how the mighty have fallen. You look like two tons of soft jelly beans smashed into an inflexible one-ton jar of pickles. Colonel, it's been a long time, Major monosyllabic tough Guyism. I'm not interested. Your country needs you. All right, I'm in. Good. Meet your new partner. I work alone, Damn it. This is smoking hot agent Jessica Hotpants. She finished top of her class at agent school in Harvard. At age seven, she received her PhD. She went to the Olympics twice meddling platinum. Once for all of them. Whatever. Stay out of my way, Rook. Get on the plane to Brazil. You'll be briefed in the air looks like it's gonna be a hot
2: drop. they're ah!
32: All leather corset, interesting choice of tactical outfit. I'm a different security guard than before. Looks like everything's a okay. There's that important thing we need to retrieve. Let's get it.
24: Let's do it.
32: But you'll never get it. It was a trap. We screwed this up with our overconfidence and bad intel. But at least we saved each other from dying. There's a lot of sexual tension here. Too bad I'm married. Bring! Bring! Hello? Your wife died. No! Your daughter is here. She is fine for now. She is right next to the thing that we stole. Tell your president we want your money. Major, we need you two badasses again for virtually the same mission, only this time it's personal. It's okay, baby. It's okay. Put the gun down. Daddy! Okay. All right. It's fine. Everything's fine. Surprise! Daddy! They killed Mom! I know. Here's your new hotter mom now. Okay! Major, we've got a new mission for you. I'm retired. Again. Until the next time. There won't be a next time. This time. <laughs>
7: is the greatest gift. Yeah, that's dueling banjos. The better half told me to put it in the background, and she's right. Montana man arrested after his best-selling jerky is made of human meat. 72-year-old Shep Arnold's been arrested for selling dehydrated human meat, a.k.a. jerky, his general store. Shep's good. Well, not all Shep's goods are good. Arnold's been running a store for 35 years, and over time, there's become a cult following for his distinctive jerky. Most everyone had the opportunity to visit Butte would get some of Shep's jerky. It just so happened that the executive from Jack Links was staying in Butte. He decided to purchase some of the jerky and take it back to work to see if anyone could see what it made jer- Shep's jerky so special? When the jerky made its way back to the factory, it was given to the in-house scientists to run tests in hopes of deciphering what ingredients Arnold was using for his jerky. What they didn't expect was that the meat wasn't that of a cow, but a human. Tests were run by an independent lab to verify the results by Jack Link's. Again, human meat. Local authorities arrested Arnold on suspicion of using human meat for his jerky that he sold to the public and police needed to find the supply of the meat. Turns out about once a year in the summer he'd hire an extra to work with him. What he neglected to say was later they would take the three men that have been reported missing and he'd put them in the meat. He's under arrest. Locked up authorities hope to connect the missing men via DNA extracted from the jerky to known samples of the missing men. As more is revealed, we'll update this story. Sweet freaking Lord. There was a movie about this where they planted him in the ground and this guy made sausage. I can't remember the name of it. We watched it. It's a 70 horror, but I never thought somebody would actually do it. So yeah, that's a real story ute montana human jerky to this is america almond poor. the media being threatened somehow a bernie speech that's horrible and the view shilling for biden this is america
25: don't got you slipping up hey. don't got you slipping up hey. look what i'm whipping up this is america don't got you slipping up hey.
24: Don't you slipping,
3: no. It's time for the last it's
30: soundbite. Ooh, yeah. Like the media say when on. they are pushing they fake, up. liberal agenda stories. Tripping, no? yeah.
5: And this is America yeah. in 2019. Hey. In my hey. my I got the strap.
2: Hey. Hey. Watch out, everybody. The Johnson administration here is
3: trying to do to mainstream media
24: while the Trump administration in the United States. <laughs> Be careful. Keep your guard up. Don't let it happen. We are the pillars of democracy and freedom. They may be there for a few terms.
21: Journalists are there
10: forever. Don't
2: let it he just said in
26: 1968 when he stated...
2: I saw this yeah. last night and I
35: started crying. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. pretty long, like we just cut it. But yeah. this is Joe Biden at... Biden. Yeah. he has this way of empathizing with pain and people yeah, exactly. Joe Biden can stay in this lane mm-hmm. and his campaign can keep yeah. him in this lane there's a lot of uncertainty it's, with it's, the coronavirus and things yeah. that are going on, yeah. a statesman who has a lot of history and yeah. a lot of record in this country,
0: it may be something that well, people want inter- for it's really interesting understand. to me that religious people, some who are on Trump's team mm-hmm. like evangelicals, I don't really understand how they don't go with Biden as opposed yeah. to somebody who slept with a porn star while his wife was having a baby yeah. I don't get that, it's like I explain it please yeah i've never understood that he has this line that i think is the most perfect
35: line that he says that it explains trump better than any way i can he says they hate you meaning the media and liberal people that judge like you know redneck evangelicals in the middle of the country that people think are stupid and ignorant whatever and he said i'm just in the way meaning they'll come for you and they'll come for your religion they'll come for everything that you believe but i'm in the way He's and that, the way I think it's what? the best way. Of, like, of, he's in the way of leftists that want to change their life. And they do that. It's believe not that they that. necessarily believe that he's like the greatest guy and he's this like religious figure or anything like that. It's that they think that he's the person that's stopping the culture war from reaching them. It's just so bizarre to me because if you are a person of faith, he is the
18: antithesis of everything that you believe in. Right. Everything that is God-centered, he is the antithesis of, of a moral life. But let me say this about Joe Biden, because I mm-hmm. saw that clip as well. And, and I thought uh, Joe Biden was his strongest when he first announced and he had that ad campaign that said that we are struggling for the soul of this country. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are fighting for the soul of this country. And I believe that a man like Joe Biden is the person that can change um,
35: sort of the tenor of this country, of what we are going through, because he has that empathy. He yeah, feel like empathizes with the American public and can lead you through a crisis. Yeah, yeah. And I do think even in that moment last you night, Joe Biden, nice. see, yeah, right. you that's see it. this that's character it. that is missing in I our culture. Soul yeah. I want the soul of the country restored.
7: And to those articles I spoke of, the New Yorker, Michael, medical advice from Mike Pence, their cartoon... Shows him saying, remind everyone that the first defense against this outbreak is vigorous hand-washing and repentance with a halo. People's reply. Get it because he believes God, so the joke is that Pence will encourage cleanliness and prayer? So you're probably coming out against proper health protocol and God? Good luck there. Hand-washing is advised by medical authorities, you twat waffles. And the article. Let's Call It Trump Virus by Gail Collins and printed in the New York Times. If you're feeling awful, you know who to blame. So our coronavirus czar is going to be Mike Pence. Feeling more secure? I know full well the importance of presidential leadership. The vice president said as soon as he was introduced in his new role, totally qualified. First criteria for every job in this administration is capacity for praising the glorious, the gloriousness of our commander-in-chief. Yeah, when you think about Mike Pence, you might... Maybe don't think about pandemic fighter supreme. But as the President Trump pointed out repeatedly, he's already running Indiana. Well, it probably could have been worse. Having a czar does make you feel there's somebody in charge. At least Trump didn't come before the cameras to announce solemnly. Today, I'm asking every American to cross your fingers. Our president had to be going crazy over a problem that involves both declining stock prices and germs. This is the guy, after all, who thinks shaking hands is barbaric. who is fallen around by AIDS-bearing sanitizer. During his press conference, he told the story of a fever-ridden supporter who gave him a hug. Do you think it was an apocryphal fantasy? Either way, the idea has been haunting him forever. Meanwhile, he's come up with a totally new explanation for the stock market skid. Turns out investors were not frightened so much by the pandemic as the Democrat debate. I think the financial markets are very upset when they look at the Democratic candidates standing on the stage making fools of themselves, Trump told the reporters. Plus, that virus thing is not necessarily a big deal. What really shocked him, Trump said, was the discovery that the flu in our country kills 25,000 people or 69,000 people a year. So the problems are the Democrats and the flu. The answers are Mike Pence and reminding public once again that Nancy Pelosi's district has a big homelessness problem. Early in the day, Trump argued via tweet that despite the expression of concern by the evil media and incompetent do-nothing Democrat comrades, the government is perfectly prepared to handle the coronavirus, which he misspelled coronavirus, but nobody's perfect. The President has been saying everything is totally under control for some time. It's just one person coming in from China. The whole administration picked up the cry. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross over 82 overcame his habit of dozing off at of meetings long enough to tell FBN that the disease could accelerate return of jobs from overseas. Trump totally agrees. What if going to do is keep people safe at home and they're going to travel places we have, he said. See, the virus thing is a bonus. The run up to the Pence unveiling had not been exactly calming for citizens who wanted to have faith in competent White House oversight. Barack Obama used to have a special epidemic watching group, just in case this kind of crisis developed. One was headed by the highly regarded rear animal Timmy Zimmer, who got sent packing by John Bolton. Another infectious disease expert, Tom Bosert, suddenly vanished from the Department of Homeland Security in 2018, presumably also at the hand of John You-Know-Who. A Bolton memoir ever makes it a print. Do you think it'll have a chapter called My War on Pandemic Fighters? Okay, probably not. Virus Week hasn't really provided a whole lot of comfort to citizens who wanted to believe the president's replacements were super highly qualified. The nation got its first real look at Chad Wolf, the acting Homeland Security Secretary, who appeared before the Senate subcommittee and admitted he had no idea how the virus was transmitted among humans, exactly how dangerous it was, or pretty much anything. When Senator John Kennedy, a Louisiana Republican, not known for anti-administration bias asked whether the country had enough respirators to deal with the coronavirus epidemic. Wolf answered in the affirmative we just heard testimony that we don't Kennedy responded. okay, said Wolf, to be fair. he's only been on the job since November. He's the fifth head of Homeland Security at Trump in the last three years. Good thing he was he has a deputy or at least an acting deputy to help. That would be Ken Cuccinelli, who made news this week when he went on Twitter to ask for tips on how to find an online map of coronavirus sites posted by John Hopkins. Losing faith in presidential appointees for health protection? Stop being so negative. They're all vetted by the president's personnel office, which is now headed by John McIntyre, twenty-nine who was fired from another White House job because of concerns about a history of gambling. McEntee will be getting plenty of help from stellar appointees, the newest being 23-year-old college undergraduate. Together they're going to be cleaning house, getting rid of folks who are insufficiently loyal to the president, or maybe aren't qualified or something. Never can tell. Also part of the new coronavirus response team is Alex Vazar, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, a veteran cabinet member and experienced former pharmaceutical lobbyist. At a congressional hearing on Wednesday, Azar was asked if he considered using some of the billions of dollars in funds for Trump's border wall to help combat the current health crisis. Azar just chuckled. Actually, people, this is probably not a theme we ought to be pursuing. Chances are, if the president is encouraged to mix the subject of coronavirus and Mexico walls, he'll suddenly announce that we need a barrier much bigger and thicker and more expensive so it can stop the flow of immigrant germs. That's an article in the New York Times. And I want you to remember that during Obama, the young people were the good people, and they got rid of all the cronies, and he was fixing Washington. He was changing the whole thing. And every one of his goddamn people were handed down by Moses. That printed. And the reason why it printed is not that those people are incompetent. It's not that those people can't do the job. It's not because we're really under a fucking threat or we're all going to fucking die. And this is Contagion the movie. No, they did this because they want instability. They want the stock market to crash. They want people to die from a pandemic. They want everybody to think everything's end of days. Because if the media could convince you of that, you'll vote for a socialist. That's what it's all about. It has nothing to do with the virus. It has nothing to do with anything other than their desire to change the United States to a socialist country where we all got to know a hundred thousand fucking pronouns and we kill babies in college. That's the gist. Fucking garbage, people. Any of this shit. Would be un American disrespect of the office of the President of the United States. We heard it for eight fucking years. So this wraps up a very long episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family, and friends. Send comments to F O P P O D C A S T at Gmail.com. Fop podcast gmail.com get the show on soundcloud pocket static tune radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher and pocket cast remember check out the facebook page at fop podcast and the twitter page at fop tony reed our next podcast we're going to go with uh, march i'm sorry i'm saying it wrong for march year of our lord 2020 that'll be next tuesday until then Stay safe out there, boys and girls. I'm not trying to belittle that it's not a problem. If you live in one of those cities, I'd mask the fuck up. Personally, I would. But for the rest of us, probably don't need to go buy out fucking all the food on the shelves and freak the fuck out. It's not a pandemic. Yet. So ignore CNN. MSDNC, the New York Times, go to Drudge, and he's linking directly to the CDC. That's where I'm going. Because the CDC, I believe, majority of them aren't partisan pieces of shit. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeah. Sorry for the length. I didn't have enough to flip it in two. Uh, So we went with one. And tune in next Tuesday for another show where I promise I won't be half asleep fuck up some interchanges kind of wander off in conversations because I'm half asleep which sucks as always my friends thanks for listening take care
10: thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed
8: remember It's a short ride makes every day count. I am the sun and
22: the air
35: Of the shyness that is
2: criminally vocal I am the sun and air Of nothing in particular